Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse, episode 337. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what's up people? This is the DC Comics podcast we get together and we talk about the DC books we read. Coming up on this week's show, we have Detective Comics 1067, mm-hmm. Action Comics 1050, DC vs. Vampires issue 12, Blue Beetle Graduation Day issue 2, and The Nice House in the Lake issue 12. Uh, plus, I've got a Patreon book. I'll be looking at American Vampire issue twenty-eight. Issue twenty-eight, you said, oh, didn't and, you? And I got, yeah. I was going to say I also have Sergeant Rock. Oh, so odd, even yeah. Okay, I'll add that. Yeah. In. Um, yeah. but issue twenty-eight, you hear me say, did did you not do that yes. already? Um, no. Funny thing. Um, so the last five issues I did were actually the second miniseries. <laughs> yeah. Not five issues of the main book. So I'm actually back to issue twenty-eight now. Uh, so retroactively renumber those last five in your head uh that's yeah so that's why i thought it something was off because it sounded like you were describing lord of nightmares but it had been so long since i'd read it i wasn't gonna make that gamble I'm just going, <laughs> i think you're wrong but i don't know that's why it didn't seem so familiar for 28 29 because i thought there was the dark passenger stuff but but yeah yeah um I just assumed it was at the back of the trade because I'm reading the trade yeah. and the co- the covers right. in the trade don't have the titles or the numbers. Nope. It's just the covers on their own. Yep. So I just assumed it was at the end of the book. The last uh, mini was from the third mm-hmm. trade. Uh, yeah. But it's not because I, I was double checking it thinking, oh, let me just double check what I'm on. And mm-hmm. I actually looked it up on the Comic Geeks and I was like, oh, wait, shit. Uh, yep. This is issue 28. I thought I'd done that already. Uh, what have I done? Oh, that's what I've done. So uh, yeah. and the, and the grand scheme of things doesn't really matter that much. But uh no. that's that's why the numberings uh i mean you're still doing a patreon book at the end of the day so and it's different than the one that you've already done so, oh yeah 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 yeah. like yeah. like you know it was it, either way it was they were both gonna the slot anyway they just mm-hmm. I, I was just incorrectly naming them as we were going uh so yes yeah, so that's what's coming up uh before we get into it just a couple of quick updates on the schedule for the next couple of weeks uh just so you know what to expect when and where so this is going out at the normal time you actually got last week's episode slightly early uh we, we just put it out on christmas eve um next week is going to be the opposite it's going to be a little bit late um due to some scheduling shenanigans um next week would be a week where matt was would just take the week off and it'd be connor instead and mm-hmm. in the normal time but connor's actually going on vacation so <laughs> we are uh recording a day late therefore it'll be up sometime um, we'll be up early for patreon it'll just be up sometime on sunday whenever it's ready and out the oven and it'll probably be quite a short episode because there's only four comments coming out next week that we're going to talk about but we're not going to feel too bad about it being a short episode because the annual episode uh which you know our end of year discussion where we do all of the different mm-hmm. you know best of the year stuff uh we're going to be doing that during the following week so after you get a short episode next week may only be an hour long something like that but then you'll get the annual episode during the week following uh, before the next regular episode. Mm-hmm. So that's what's coming up in the next like week and a half, give or take. So uh, just, you know, be prepared, be aware of what's yep. coming and things are going to be a little bit late next week for the regular episode. Uh, but then you get an extra one during the week. So mm-hmm. that's what's happening. All right. Very good. <laughs> that's all out of the way. And uh, we're good. Yes. <laughs> so welcome to the show everyone it's it's uh been you know christmas season hey, how was your christmas matt i suppose you should ask what start with that yeah no everything was pretty good uh, except on christmas eve i got food poisoning so that, <laughs> oh. or on christmas night oh, no. christmas eve was great um christmas night yeah so i'm still still recovering from that I haven't been able to eat like i used to so um, christmas eve hard to... 
Christmas Eve is a little too good, <laughs> you might say. You know, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, Christmas, we, we had to go over. My uh, my in-laws had gone out of town, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, to go see a football game in Arizona. So we had to go watch the dogs. And I thought, like, oh, maybe having um, playing with the dogs after on a full stomach make me feel not so good. And then I did not have a good two days following. So, yeah. Yeah. I have eaten far too much chocolate in the last week. Uh, no such thing. I'll, 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 well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, from my health so, perspective, uh, yes. Yeah, I don't, because uh, I know you, you, you got me on the Terry's chocolate oranges, right? Oh yes. Um, we have them here. You guys have the Pop Rocks version. Oh yes, yes, yes. We have okay. the, there's the Pop Rock version. There's the honeycomb uh, uh, version. We don't have that one yet, but I've seen it online. Yeah. Um, and I've never had them, but I'm sure there's like a white and a dark chocolate version as okay. well. Yeah. Not a fan of the dark chocolate. The dark chocolate and the, the orange don't match as well as the milk chocolate and the orange. But yeah, well, my local grocery store had the the popping candy version, and let me tell you, that is a delight. Oh yeah, it, it's it just, doesn't make sense why it works so well. It's just it's chocolate orange, but when you're sucking on it, every so yep. often it starts to pop a bit. Yep. <laughs> it's it's yeah. it's delightful. Yep. So, but uh, yeah, I got I got one of those in my stocking, you know. So, um, yeah, quite quite good. Made my brother try it, and he's like, "Oh, I don't like chocolate." Turns out he doesn't like American chocolate because he goes. Wait, where's this from? <laughs> I was like, it's English chocolate, uh, and according to my my friends over there, their chocolate superior because of what goes in it. Well, T- Tara uh, was telling me that uh, Hershey's chocolate is literally made mm-hmm. with um, like off milk. That's the, that's like yeah. how they make it. Yeah, it's powdered milk. Yeah, no wonder it sucks so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, the uh, you know, and and even our Cadbury, which is sold by Hershey's isn't as good as yours because I've had actual Cadbury chocolate from like a specialty shop mm. and they are better. So yeah, turns out my, my brother just doesn't like American chocolate or Hershey's chocolate. So yeah, like, yeah, like American, American candy does have its bright spots, but plain mm-hmm. chocolate is not one of them no. when it comes to just the actual chocolate. Yeah. yeah it's, it's for sure. You're better well, those honeycomb, Those honeycomb ones I got hooked on when we were in Ventura because I bought a couple of different ones and I can't find them anywhere else. So those are the ones I got to get back on because it's like a Butterfinger, but not like it has the same consistency, but different flavor. Yeah. So, yeah. And this is not just like the UK superior. This is like all, all of Europe and like even like yeah. maybe Canada, I assume, may have mm-hmm. the better chocolate. Like, yeah, this, this may literally be everywhere except the US has better yeah. chocolate. <laughs> um, so. But I say that without any research, so don't quote me on it. <laughs> no. What's what's your one that you like from here? It's Butterfinger, and then there's another. Uh, I like Butterfingers. Candy. I like uh-huh. um. Oh, I guess Reese's, Reese's stuff, yeah. but I mean we have that okay. here now. Um, yeah. I don't know, like Pop Tarts, I, I guess. Not... <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what it was, but I remember there was one that you would you'd have to go to a specialty shop and get. It was Butterfinger and something else. No, it wasn't Pop Tarts because Pop Tarts was the other one. Twinkie, maybe? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, I meant to send you this picture back when you came back from the States, but uh, you're talking about the Oreo Cakesters, and that week my, my grocery store had an entire display <laughs> of, of just, they like they had gotten their shipment in. So I meant to send you that, but just a wall of them. Yeah, I got myself a box when Pete, I was... Uh, yeah. Pete, when... Would be, Pete would be in heaven. They're a bit oh. sick of it after you have like too many of them, but like yeah. it, it, still, it was a rare delicacy because I don't usually get to see them. So, yeah. uh, no. you know, uh, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, I, I just spent far too much money on uh, end of year video game sales as a uh, as tradition. Uh, so, yeah. 
that's that, that's that's my Christmas pretty much. Um, but yeah, so hope everyone had a nice Christmas season, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of how much or what you celebrate. And uh, you know, obviously, yeah. we're, we're recording this on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Uh, so. Just for, Most just overrated of all the holidays. I don't, yeah, I don't really care about New Year's, to be well, honest. It, we're, we're turning the calendar. Literally, we don't do this for any other month. Like, <laughs> like y'all chill. But the, the big number changes, though, Matt. That's the exciting part. Yeah, but still, like, I don't, yeah. I don't care. Do you know what it is, I'll, Matt? It's, a, yeah. it's an excuse for a lot of people to get blamed drunk. And because neither yeah. of us drink, neither of us see the appeal yeah. in New Year's, it's just well, a and thing. Now, and it's funny, because I have a friend that has a birthday on this day, and every year I have to tell him that I have to, you know, he'll... He'll ask to come over for a party, but I don't like to go anywhere on New Year's. You know, just I don't want to risk it. There's too many stupid people out. You know, don't don't want to go risk getting into an altercation. So, but I have to work overtime tomorrow and I have to be up early. So, it it tends to work out to, for me to be in bed early this year. Uh, oh I, sure. I have an actual reason besides you know yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I watch. We we get enough fireworks on Fourth of July. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, well, we don't have Fourth of July, but we have Bonfire yeah. Night, uh, yeah. which is November fifth. In case anyone's right. unfamiliar with it, yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen V for Vendetta. Also, Guy Fox Night. There's, there's, there's many names, but uh, yes, yes, uh, yes. All right, so um, don't worry, Matt. That doesn't matter. I know it, it doesn't matter that we're almost at the end of the year. It doesn't matter that nope. there's we're mere hours from 2023. There's still time for a comicsology top ten. Yes, I know. I'm not going to fight it this week because I. I I'm gonna get on the road, so let's, uh, <laughs> let's you, get on with the guesses. You've realized that the protesting only prolongs yes. The, yes. the pain, and and sometimes it's funny for a bit, but when I have stuff to do after this, it's not the bit's not funny to me. It ceases <laughs> to be amusing. <laughs> well, as per usual, now Comicsology split the uh, the mm-hmm. the charts on the days of release, so. We're looking at Tuesday first, as of what's what's so what's selling the best as of right now in Comicsology, but it's looking at just the Tuesday releases, which basically means just the DC Comics. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think the highest selling DC comic on Comicsology I'm, is for Tuesday? I'm going to go with Action Comics 1050. It is actually comics. Yeah. That was a reasonable guess. It, it was it was on a lot of Twitter this week, and so I'm guessing that you know just pure uh, pure curiosity. Making people check it out. I mean, um, it's it, a nice round number. It's been marketed so. as a milestone issue. It's, yeah. you know, it's a little bit bigger. It's maybe a jumping on point for all the books that are mm-hmm. coming out of the Superman line going into the next year. It yeah. makes sense that it's done a little bit better than normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not a lot better than normal. I mean, who knows what the actual figures are. But mm-hmm. uh, no, yeah, actually, comics is number one as of right now in comicsology. Mm-hmm. Number two is DC versus Vampires issue 12. Ooh. So the final issue of that actually wow. uh, doing quite well. Then we have Batman Beyond the White Knight, which, you know, still sells quite well. Yeah. Um, the one that does surprise me is the $10 book, which is the Tales from Earth 6, A Celebration yeah. of Stan Lee. Uh, so I, I guess that having a bit of special novelty to it, yeah. uh, the, the trick for I know, it. I know Tim picked that up physically because it was in his his haul picture that he puts up weekly. So if Timmy's going out of his way to grab it, other people must have been too. Yes, which comes a couple of hours after the I'm driving to the comic shop tick mm-hmm. tick tick tweet that he yep. puts out every single week. Mm-hmm. I love it because it is clockwork. It's it's when I know, you know? Mm. So. Yes. Uh, number five is Detective Comics, uh, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's surprising it's only at number five, but there's a couple of yeah. novelty big issues out, so I guess that's why yeah. it's done a little bit. 
then we have another big book from DC this week is the Wonder Woman Historia uh, mm-hmm. book that came out, um, which I know Connor loved this, uh, the mm-hmm. first one or two of these. Uh, and then number six is John Stewart, the Emerald Knight issue one. This is them tying up some of the loose ends of that last Green Lantern run that kind of just dwindled and uh, died. Yeah. Uh, number eight is Nice House in the Lake, issue 12, final issue of that. We'll be talking about that later. Uh, number nine is the Riddler Year One. And then number 10 is Tim Drake Robin, issue four. Uh, so Blue Beetle Graduation Day, just missing out in the top 10. That's at number 11. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is, a, it is a small mini for a, you know, I mean, it could be your character. So. It, could, it could be worse, though. The Sergeant yeah. Rock book is number 14, which may not sound that bad, but it's underneath no. one of the trades. Nightwing yeah. Volume 2 has actually sold more than that single issue has. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm willing to bet people are going to buy up that trade once it's out. Oh, very so possibly. probably waiting yeah. for it, so. But it's, it's uh, usually but, not a good sign if your single issue no. is selling less than one of the trades. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Congratulations to Nightwing Volume 2 for uh, yeah. be, being a, a reasonable seller. But mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting. That said, though, DC Mech Issue 6 is on a different row entirely. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it's Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn. That main Harley Quinn book doesn't sell that, that it well. It's free falling. At least not digitally, anyway. Maybe yeah. it does well in physical because people buy up the mm-hmm. variants, but yeah, yeah digitally, it's, it doesn't feel like And it's I don't hear anybody well. talk about it either online. Like, and there's a, no, no yeah. Harley Quinn. When it was a Connor Palm Palmiotti book, constantly would hear people praising it, but now not too much. So I mean, at least maybe uh, Harley's cool. I mean, DC Mech and Gotham Knights Gilded City, like mm-hmm. that, that being around there, like okay, I understand that because that's yeah. like, you know, these kind of like tie-in books or weird like Elseworld books that aren't like super high mm-hmm. profile. Uh, next trade there, uh, Batman the Tower came out, the Shadows of the Bat stuff. Ooh. Uh, so that was the next best-selling trade uh, after the rest of the single issues. Um, Wonderful. So, yeah, that's cool. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Alright, let's look at Wednesday then. Let's get the rest of the industry. Uh, what do you think the number one selling book was? This one's this one's kind of tough because I'm looking. I don't see too many X-books at the top here. I'm like a comic hmm. geeks. Um, so I'm just going to do a quick scroll. Yeah, I don't see too many. So I'm going to go to my, my next best guess. Um, although there's a dark web... Both are dark web tie-ins. I'm going to go with Amazing Spider-Man 16. Nope. Yeah. Dang. I don't think you'll get this. I think you'll be... No? I think you'll be side-lined or side... Uh, side Sideswiped. That's the phrase I'm yeah. looking for. Uh, let's go Midnight Suns. Uh, no. Dang, okay. But where, is that even in the top 10? I don't even see that. No, because you said Sideswiped. So that was the next best thing I could think of. <laughs> Yeah, Something Midnight Suns is like number 19. That's like way yeah, down there. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, number one is Timeless Issue 1, which is the new uh, Ka- uh, Kang the Conqueror. Like, oh, dang it. There it is. Yeah. I should have uh, known. It's, an, it's like an event type deal. Which obviously they're doing because he's about to be big in the, the movies yes. and stuff. So uh, that makes a fair amount of sense. Uh, number two is Dark Web X-Men. Issue two. Uh, number okay. three is Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, so, oh, that's the dark web. Amazing Spider-Man. Is, is there a difference? I don't think there is. I don't know. No, it's actually sixteen. So, it's still the same. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just a dark web tie-in. It's because sometimes, it's, like, uh, maybe they've stopped doing it, but Marvel were doing for a while. They were doing like, uh, you know, they they do like issue five point, and in the name of the event, and it mm-hmm. would be like a an extra issue of the book that wasn't one of the regular numbered issues, but it was sort of numbered 
alongside it was i don't know it was a weird thing they were doing for a while rather than just doing like a one shot they were trying to still yeah. sort of tie it to the main the, bit the point five mm. yeah it was weird number four is exterminators issue four uh number five is miracle man by gaming in buckingham the mm-hmm. silver age issue three i remember issue two popping up uh, a while ago with that so that's still doing well uh venom issue 14 is number six number seven is new mutants issue 33 hey marvel book getting to 33 is notable in this day yeah big time. Uh, you know like the only ones i can think of that are up a reasonable high number are avengers i think wolverine's doing a decent number uh i might say males morales is doing okay number wise but there's not a lot of them uh number eight is she hulk issue nine and then number nine is star wars the high republic the blade i think that says and then number 10 is moon knight issue 18 so yeah all 10 of the slots on this wednesday were marvel they actually released a lot of books in this christmas new year's Year's week uh in fact most of the next five are all marvel the only one that isn't is book of slaughter by james tynan which is isn't that part of the something selling the children uh that's i think that's right yeah yeah uh so yeah so that's doing okay but uh yeah mostly marvel not not, not a lot of indie stuff kind of like mm-hmm. penetrating that top 10 uh mm-hmm. there's another turtles and power rangers crossover comic hey uh yeah uh, mighty morphin power rangers teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 issue 1 it's a really clunky nice. title yeah that's a lot of, lot of letters <laughs> it's a lot TMNT, of words MMPR yeah you even just did an acronym is too many <laughs> yeah, that's what it means a lot of letters it's too many we, uh, funnily enough we were watching Secret of the Ooze last night right before bed um, naturally yes well because uh, my wife had never heard Ninja Rap she had forgot about that and I was like well we're, we're watching Ninja Turtles and then she conked out early so I was like alright we'll finish this later but I don't know Who's your favorite Ninja Turtle, Pete? I don't think I know this. Uh, Raphael. Uh, of course. It's funny, you hate Guy Gardner, but you love the Guy Gardner of the Ninja Turtles. Weird. No, no, no. He's not the Guy Gardner. No, no, yes, he is. No, no, no. Yes, no, no. he is. No, he's the Batman. Le- Leonardo yeah. is the Superman. Raphael is the Batman. That is... Who's who's Donnie, then? Uh, like, I don't know. Um, Barry Allen, I guess? <laughs> I love the Flash, so that, that that's fine. And Michelangelo's like <laughs> ambush bug. Uh, <laughs> you didn't take him serious at all. Uh, Kate man, Granado. Yeah, I don't go. know. There you go. Yeah. Um, there you go. I figured you would have been like a, a a Leonardo guy, maybe Donatello. I think I think Leo's my second favorite, but yeah. Raphael is he basically all, all the good plot comes from him. Him him. Yeah. Him, like, having conflicts with the others is what creates the story. Yeah, he's he's the layered one. He actually gets arcs in the movies, you know? Everyone else is kind of set dressing. Um, but Raph kind of... Because even in the third one, right, he's the one that has, like, the relationship with the kid. That, you know, they bond. Oh, it's been a long time since I yeah, watched that I haven't third seen the one. third one in a while. Um, that was another thing my wife goes there's a third one I said yeah you probably didn't watch it as a kid I'm actually gonna you're be probably seen... out of turtles I'm going to be seeing it again soon though because uh, we're doing them Ooh. all on collector's cut so oh fun uh... yeah actually our our first movie we saw together in the theater was that animated TMNT that had Sarah Michelle oh, Gellar yeah from 2007 yeah yep, it had April O'Neil 
And funnily enough, her her you know Hollywood boyfriend slash husband Chris Evans has Casey Jones. That's so. good. <laughs> That's quite funny that uh, yep. he's went from being a voice in the animated Turtles movie to you know One what of he the is now. Stars. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, actually, sp- yeah. speaking of Matt, do you, do you know what you mm-hmm. never do? What you do not bet against James Cameron. True, you do not. <laughs> right, it's yeah. a shame Connor's not here because I'd rub this in his face right now. I had a conversation with Connor earlier this year. About how well Avatar 2 was going to do. Yeah. And I honestly think it was going to do as well as the first one, and it still may not do quite as well as the first one. No. But, you know, Connor reluctantly said, it might make a billion. It might make a billion. It's already, it made a billion in 12 days, and it's going to easily pass the previous highest grossing movie of the year, which was Top Gun Maverick, which is just under 1.5 billion. It's going to do that in like a matter of days. And it's still yeah. got, like, all of January to itself, basically, because the next it's... blockbuster, I guess, is Ant-Man 2 in February. Like, yeah. it's pretty much just... I mean, and January's always dead anyway, so I, I always felt like that's where Avatar made a lot of its money, was in that January uh, that it came out. But the, the legs are insane. It, it's, yeah. it's made more every day this week than it did last week, uh, at least yeah. domestically in the US. Well, it's, it's one of those things where people were like, oh, I forgot Avatar was a thing, and then they go see it. And like again, all the guys that I played football with, I'm the only person that hasn't seen it. So, yeah, it's getting a lot of repeat you know? business. It's yeah. like the the drop up. In fact, this weekend, if the estimates hold, it's actually going to increase this weekend from last weekend, which yeah. almost never happens. No, but it helps that Christmas was on. You know, the weekend. I'm sure that if it wasn't Christmas last weekend, it would have had a, had a bigger weekend. Oh, very possibly. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. obviously a number of factors, and the, the weird thing is, is that. China is actually a big moneymaker for Avatar, mm-hmm. and it's it's actually quite uh, neutered right now because they're having a lot of lockdowns because they're having right. more COVID outbreaks and whatnot. Right. Um, you know, and obviously it's not released in Russia right now for obvious reasons, right. and that made like a right. hundred million last time the movie came out. Yeah. So yeah, I you know I mostly tease Pete on when it comes to Avatar and James Cameron, but again, it's real recognizes real, right? The the movie's making money. It, I haven't had anybody say. The worst thing that I've heard is people go, yeah, it's okay, but holy crap, the visuals are amazing. You know, oh, which, the, the, that's kind of Avatar in a nutshell. They right? are, so, I mean, I, I actually think there's good characters in the second one, and I think mm-hmm. the story hits a lot more emotionally in places. I, I, I think you will get something out of it as someone who usually would enjoy a relationship of a character and an animal. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you will enjoy parts of it, but... yeah. Like the the thing the thing with the visuals is that Avatar was so ahead of the game in 2009 when it came out with its visuals, mm-hmm. and honestly, Hollywood's been kind of slacking. Like most of the big movies don't really it's, push for effects. No, no, it's cheap. Like yeah. again, like so, even Black Panther two or yeah, Black Panther two, which had all of the you know Talokan scenes, they looked okay. But it was like, that's weird y'all are putting out your water movie right before Avatar comes out, where you, where you know that James Cameron is obsessed with the water. Yeah. Like, the man has literally been to the Titanic 14 times. And, I, and I, so, you know, so Avatar 2 pushes it even further, and it is like yeah. nothing you've ever seen. The the, the, right. the fidelity and the visuals yeah. is, is insane. So yeah. there is something to be said that people are, you know, go, going for the spectacle and going because yeah. it is something that's worth seeing on a big yeah. IMAX screen or whatever. Yeah, again, I, not I haven't heard one bad word about it. Like outside, like outside people complain about the runtime, which they're gonna do on long movies anyways. But like mm. the the worst thing I've seen is is our friend Dan being like, yeah, it was okay. 
you know, when your movie is just, yeah, okay, that's still a big compliment. So, you know, but I just like to tease Pete because it's fun. Like, now now I've already seen news about how uh, Cameron wants to introduce Fire Navi. Yeah, that's the plan for the third one. That, now yeah. my joke is, like, the third one's not coming out. Uh, I mean, you so, say that, but they've already shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. <laughs> so. There is actually going to be a relatively quick turnaround for the next one, yeah. just because it's already been made. So, um, you know, now back at that cycle of, oh, Avatar's out, okay. Yeah, it's going to be a while. But we'll, we'll see. I just, it, it's, it's shocking to me, and for like 13 years, mm-hmm. people have said, ah, no one remembers or cares about Avatar. It's not that big a deal, right? It comes out, and it's easily beating, like, like, the only movie it will probably not beat financially is Endgame. Every other mm-hmm. Marvel movie that's come out, it is beating yeah. the shit out of Well, and I think and, and people are, are kind of burned out on Marvel at this point. And they're getting it everywhere, right? The oh, only yeah, place yeah. to get Avatar is at the movie theater. It's not like it's a franchise, you know? It is two movies at this point. Um, the biggest compliment, though, was one of the film podcasts I listened to the producer on the show had kept saying, like, oh, I don't want to see Avatar. The first one's not that good. He went and saw the second one with family over, you know, the break. And it won him over. And now he's an Avatar guy. So that's the joke. <laughs> and now he's like, yeah, I think I'm gonna have to go see it again. Um, and stuff. And so, you know, once you can get that, then, then you're good. I, I'm so. just, I'm having fun checking the box office numbers every day, which I think, honestly, I think the first Avatar is the movie that made me like doing that. I think it yeah. was like that phenomenal kind of success that was like standing out that made me want to like look and check. And I've done it for lots of movies over the years. And it's like, I, it, fun to, I wasn't, ex- I was expected to do well, but I can't yeah. believe I'm like, you know, F- Fireman from Twin Peaks it is happening again. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, that's what it feels like. Yeah, I mean, well, it helps too that, like, Top Gun came in and started doing that again, you know? Because that movie was starting to make money, like, at crazy levels that we hadn't seen in a while. Um, So, I know I, I know I, people were checking it then, too. It's another so. example of, I think, people are just, like, excited for something that isn't a superhero mm-hmm. movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that they are tanky and not doing well, although no. they're very front-loaded because they, they kind of die off a lot quicker than some other movies. Yeah. Um, but like, I think between Top Gun to Avatar mm-hmm. to, and then even some smaller movies that have been doing surprisingly well, like Terrifier Two made a lot of money for what it was, mm-hmm. and I think it's just yeah. a case of like people want to go see varieties of movies, and it's not to say that superhero movies aren't going to make money anymore, but I don't think no. I think there's a thirst for other things, and yeah. I think we're seeing that kind of throughout the year. And then maybe in the biggest way with this one, because mm-hmm. it's doing juggernaut numbers. Yeah. Well, and on top of it, too, again, the only place to see Avatar is at the movie theater, right? It's not streaming. There's no none of that type of stuff. Yeah. So, and you know, people are like, they that's something that they want to go to the theater for. So, you know, same with Top Gun. I felt like Top Gun, it wasn't streaming anywhere. And the word got out, like, yeah, you got to go see this in the theater and get the full experience. So, and that's what I think we've been missing, because I feel like, Outside of Endgame, there hasn't been, like, an experience Marvel movie. You know? Um, everything is just kind of... I feel like they're just going through the motions at this point. Like, Black Panther 2 was fine. It was a nice movie about grief. Um, but it doesn't have that spectacle anymore. You know, everything's just... We're used to it. So, maybe maybe Quantumania will get crazy. You know? Um, don't count on it. 
but I, I like Ant-Man stuff. I, it's, it's, that's, we're at a point yeah. now where $2 billion for Avatar 2 is yeah. basically guaranteed at this point. Yeah. And that seemed like a silly thing to suggest just a yeah. couple of weeks ago. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, 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 so the first one, it got to $2.7 billion originally, yeah. and... With a with the re-release in China a couple of years ago, it actually got up to I think just about three billion. I'd have to double check the actual figure, Dang. but um, but two point seven was the original run. So yeah. we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how close to it gets to that. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Never bet against James Cameron. Like, we we all know this. He was the first person to get over a billion with the movie yeah. with Titanic. No one touched well, that dude, for a long that, time. That was ninety seven dollars too, man. Like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. But no they, one they, they, no one touched yeah. that for like a decade, basically. Yeah. And it was only when people were starting to sniff at a billion that he came in with mm-hmm. Avatar and went, oh, I could top that. And <laughs> did 2.7. Mm-hmm. Yep. So here we are. He's, he's going to be... Only like five movies have like hit 2 billion and he's going to have like three of them pr- mm-hmm. in a few weeks' time, probably. Yeah. I mean, that's why he's allowed to do whatever he wants, right? Ah, he could do whatever he wants for Avatar 3, yeah. 4, and 5. Yeah. Like, bring him on. Like, whatever. Like, go nuts. Fun times. <laughs> uh, I'll have to get to the theater some at some point. I don't think it's going anywhere anywhere soon. Uh, no, I know. I think it's... stuff coming out, so... But if you want yeah. to see it in one of the better screens, I would probably advise yeah. going before the end of January, just to yeah, make sure you get sure. the, the IMAX I, or the Dolby I, Theater or whatever it is you've got access to. Yeah, that's another thing I heard, that there's a whaling subplot in, in this one. And my wife, you know, how I feel about bears is how my wife feels about dolphins and whales. So I'm a little bit worried to take her, and she hadn't seen the first one. So that might just be me going by myself on a Sunday or whatever. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I don't want to traumatize her. <laughs> like, this is a lady that makes me check if the dog survives in movies when we're watching them at home. Uh, yeah, so, maybe wise for her not to go. Yeah. Especially when it comes to something like like that, you know, like the cove is is one that you know, she, I don't even think she's aware of, and we're gonna keep it that way, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm keeping quiet because of the white spoil land. No, uh, so I, but I enjoyed Avatar too for the red, just in case anyone needs my opinion. Yeah, no, uh, no, over on our sci-fi movie podcast, The Atomic Serum Experiment, uh, our review was like two hours long, and there was lots of talks of character themes and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it was it was, it was good stuff. So, um, yeah, let's get into the comics then, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Get into things. Uh, so, starting off with Detective Comics 1067, Ramvi and Ivan Reese on the art. So, yeah. Um... We left off last time with Batman being frozen by Mr. Freeze uh, mm-hmm. as he was fighting the werewolf, Gale, uh, mm-hmm. down in the, the sub part of the city. And yeah. this issue kind of starts off with him frozen, kind of starting to thaw. The wolf's also sort of just naturally starting to thaw because of all the wolf heat or something. <laughs> like Yeah, so his body temperature. And I, I, I also took that up as the asthma, that the demon that he uses mm. right that, that's been keeping him alive for decades or centuries at this point um that was going so um little i was a little bit like how's ram v gonna get batman out of this um because what i've enjoyed about this detective comics run so far is that he's just beating the ever-living piss out of batman 
right? Mm. Like he is constantly putting Bruce in these scenarios. Oh yeah, he, he got he got that shows that how vulnerable he is. He and got that it's, put out for like three days, and he was on Jim yeah. Gordon's couch recuperating. Yeah. yeah, there's that, and now with this is with the same with Freeze. You know, Freeze froze him to to get him away from the werewolf and has helped him thaw out. Um, and it's just one of these things that, like, yeah, Bruce is very vulnerable right now. This is almost above him, you know, and it's going to take, like, it's not, I don't want to say it's Gotham reminding him, but it's, you know, he is human. And I feel like he's going to have to embrace some bat demon in order to overcome these guys. And I'm here for that. Yeah, it's, um, it sounds kind of sweet that Freeze wakes him up and makes sure he's okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of a nice heartwarming quality to it, you know. Part, uh, yeah, pardon like, the irony of that because it's mr freeze uh, no yeah he that's where he he had done this to help him and then this like i don't want to call it a rehabilitation because freeze is still a villain right but the way that that Rambi has been writing these villains that aren't the not the orgums from two-face to who else have we gotten we have two-face the league of shadows um yeah talia and, freeze talia like, they all don't seem as bad as the orgums yeah they all feel no. Like, and it, I almost feel like it's going to be Gotham versus them. Like the concept of, mm. you know, the villains are going to have to team up with Batman <clears throat> to remind the Orgums that this is their town. That's the kind of vibe that I'm getting. As like, also, I don't know. Did you read the backup? I didn't read the backup. Up? No, okay. I didn't read the backup. Uh, There's more of that from Two Face's perspective in that. So, but I like I like what Freeze tells Bruce here about like Gotham's his Nora. Yeah, actually, and honestly, one... I, I thought that was legitimately one of the best lines I've read mm-hmm. in a comic book uh, in a lot yeah. of while. Um, how, him sort of, like, basically recognizing that Batman has this obsession the same way that he mm-hmm. obsessed over his, like, frozen wife. And then Freeze having to deal with the fact that his wife says, I didn't actually need you, and I don't need you yeah. anymore. Uh, it's like, Batman's obsession with taking care of Gotham, and this, the question is, like, but does Gotham actually want or need Batman to take care mm-hmm. of it? And I think ultimately the answer is going to be to some extent yes, because it's yeah. a Batman story and he's more of a heroic character than Mr. Freeze. Mm-hmm. But the idea of like comparing those two things and putting that into Batman's head yeah. and put, putting it into our head as the reader, I think is a very fascinating, yeah. you know, thinking, you know, bit, bit of thought, a bit of thinking Dude, to do. Because we've always said that Bruce is obsessed with Gotham, but it's been more like in a familial way, right? Like he only exists because of Gotham being the way that it is. But for for Freeze to point out, like, yeah, it was an unhealthy obsession, and it was only after I realized Nora didn't need me, I was able to move on. Um, I feel like at the end of this, this will be a big, you know, key piece in, in how we think about Batman. Yeah, uh, and let's not forget that Freeze just wants to be left alone and what mm-hmm. is effectively his version of the Batcave, where he's got all mm-hmm. these, like, ice... The ice caverns. yeah. He's got all these ice sculptures of his wife mm-hmm. and stuff that he wants to... And he says, no, I just want to be left down here with like these memories, because as much mm-hmm. as I've in some way accepted that my wife doesn't need me, I'm still sort of holding on to this memory of her needing me because it felt it made me feel important. So there's this idea that we're dealing with a story where Bruce is maybe going to have to deal with the possibility that Gotham mm-hmm. doesn't want him anymore um, mm-hmm. as Batman, and... I think ultimately, of course, there's differences, and I think some of the natural differences that will come out is yeah. that you know, there's a difference between a person and a city, and the city's yeah. made up of people, and you know, so obviously well, these are things that are going to come out as we're going through the well, story. Yeah, and just what Ram V's using with that, what we read, in, but that was the annual, right, uh, of the history of Gotham. The flashback, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the flashback is that 
you know, it wasn't necessarily the Waynes that, you know, uh, were the avenging person that time. Is that Gotham will always have this Dark Knight uh, that, you know, that'll work with it. And so I like what Ramvi's doing here where, you know, the Orgums are trying to get this, you know, that whatever that device is, I forget the name of it. Um, the seed, you know, I'm just going to call the it. The seed, yeah. <laughs> it has a seed that keeps these themes constantly going, you know, and, and it's going to be much to their detriment because it's also going to keep this Dark Knight. But it's going to have to be, you know, Bruce coming to terms with that. Like, you know, Gotham will always have a Dark Knight. It might just not be him. Um, and that this is a cycle that's just going to keep happening. I think that's going to be the key to him breaking it. Um, uh, especially after that conversation with Orgum, right? Like it, it seemed like Orgum's like, hey, we're a lot alike, you know? Um, I, I feel like this is going to be that thing that, that makes him different, that changes Batman for the better. Yeah, and then the family side of this issue, you know, or, you know the Orgums are making their announcements, they're building this mm -hmm. new place on top of where Arkham was, in honor of, you know, the, the, the village and the church that mm -hmm. started the city and all that stuff. Um, but we see like some of the ways that they're going to be doing things as the issue goes on. So they they all take these masks because Gale almost got seen by Batman, like his uh -huh. real identity almost got seen. So they're actually concerned about that. So they've all they've got these fancy, very you know, dramatic masks that they're all wearing now. When they're whenever they're doing the stuff that they can't it, be seen doing. I'm not gonna lie, I think it's dope. Like, it, <laughs> it, it, it well, it kind of goes with that operatic thing that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that when it kicked off, and just that each of them have like. There's something more to these masks too, right? Like, you know, that they just look like these these regular type masks, but they're almost charged with this dark energy. And it just, it adds to their mystique as villains. And I love the fact that Ram V has created these original characters that I don't feel like they're, I don't want to say copies, but there's no similarities to any of these characters with any other Bat villains, which I, which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. It feels very different and unique. It feels like a fresh nemesis mm -hmm. for for bruce to take on especially if there's yeah. one where the entirety of gotham and some and i think it's mm -hmm. smart that the joker's not around right now and if yeah. he, and it would be interesting if he does show up because i think this idea of bruce at least in some level even if it's not like an actual spoken alliance and yeah. some level is in the same side with all the rogues of the city mm -hmm. i don't think the joker can fit into that so i think if no. the joker does show up at any point it's going to be you know <sighs> It'd almost be a three-way war because they wouldn't want Joker, but they don't yeah. want to team up with Bruce. And, like, and the similar is that Bruce is not going to team up with them because they have such different goals. Of course, so yeah. So it'd yeah. be too much of a wild card. Yeah, um, I think in a weird way at that point, the Joker like represents the true like unpredictability of everything. Yeah. Like, and in no ways he, you can predict for him, so he doesn't really fit into either side's like world. He's an actual Joker card, right? Yeah, like, yeah. He is yeah. wild, right? So, um. And that would work, but, but no, I don't but, think it'd be. But in a weird yeah. way, though, if he does show up eventually, like, he could actually be like a, like a, a thorn in like the the Orgum's plans yeah. Yeah. because they can't right. predict well, for him, and maybe he'll do yeah. something that Bruce would never do that'll like, kind of inadvertently save the day well, in a weird way. Well, and get them, yeah, get them off of their, you know, get them on the heels a little bit so Bruce can make that move that he needs. I mean, I think that's the best case scenario, but it's kind of like War and Jokes and Riddles, right, where. Ultimately, Bruce had a side with the order over the chaos because mm. that's just the way that he is. But to me, the Orgum's orders on the opposite side. You know, if we're breaking this down into like a D&D &D alignment, you know, they're lawful evil and Bruce is lawful good, right? You know, versus Joker's chaotic evil. 
it's just a case of like uh, is he going to show up into the story or is he going to just keep him out of the story because he doesn't really fit mm-hmm. into it in any way like yeah. that's the real question and i, I don't know the yeah. answer to that uh yeah uh but, but if, yeah, the, if um, he is going to bring him in it'll probably be quite late on i imagine uh, yeah. also i noticed that this part of the arc is called something in the way and i wonder if that's an intentional mm-hmm. reference to the movie because i had the uh, nirvana song in the trailers yeah uh True. just just that just a thought but yeah, you uh, see, uh, um, the, the the so the lady one with the eyes, like she has like a, this um, eye mask yeah. that she uses. Shabad. Yeah, she goes to like the Wayne building and like meets with some people. Uh, and at first I was like, why isn't Lucius Fox just here? And it's because oh, it's because these people are going to commit suicide later on yeah. because she's made them. So that was that got darker than I was expecting, but then I was like, oh yeah, it's Ramby. I read Swamp Thing. You know. Yeah, so. so her mask, like, basically she's able to, like, trance them and make them, like, do what she wants, which is mm-hmm. they're going to sell, like, a bunch of, like, Wayne real estate and then arrows to the, the, the Argums, yeah. and then all these people who are making these decisions are going to commit suicide in a variety of ways in a couple of weeks' time uh, to sort of erase the trail of, like, what's yeah. happened here. So, yeah, um, super dark. Yeah, so they're going to do that, and then they're going to try to take over the Narrows, which is, they're calling the heart of Gotham. Um, and all it kept making me think too, is like, this is the evil of gentrification, mm. right? Cause you're having these rich, you know, this rich European family move in and raise the narrows to the ground so they can rebuild and make it theirs. And, you know, just knowing how socially conscious Ram B is, you know, just from, again, from reading Swamp Thing, you know, I, I like that this is a thinly veiled shot at that kind of thing. Um, especially with the way they did it with the dark, you know, you guys are going to sell all of this. Because, you know, it's almost as if Bruce was keeping the Narrows around because he understands, you know, the power that area has over the city. Yeah, and of course, spiritually, as they're doing this, uh, you know, the other guys actually burning it to the ground. Yeah. And those people running for their lives. And, you know, we leave off on this big cliffhanger where Bruce hears about this in the news. Whilst Arzen's with him, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to try and make friends with him. Uh, you know, so the last page is him, you know gliding off to the towards the fire to try and, and save a, people that's and whatnot a great looking panel from reese because we haven't talked about the art too much is you know i like ivan reese but it's usually within a lot like a lot brighter type stuff so i always like him when he's doing superman this issue of batman it's kind of weird because of the shadows and like it doesn't look bad but it just feels a little bit off to me and then we get to that final with batman gliding into the narrows and it looks really good i think all the stuff like, with reese looks really good um mm-hmm. I think Ivan Reese is great at big comic book action and big spectacle shots. Yeah. Maybe isn't at the at the you know isn't the best necessarily at just the the sort of tense like one on one conversations. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I think all the Ars and, and like Oregon family stuff is very much that. It's all like yeah. conversations. It's all like looking ominous out of the city and making speeches mm-hmm. and the monologues and the narration and stuff. For sure. Uh, so and maybe that's not. Reese's strength, but obviously Reese is a very good yeah. artist, and when he has yeah. these big moments to play with, he like again, does it relevant. doesn't look bad, but it just it feels like the pacing almost feels off, um, you know. So, but but yeah, no, that that we get to that final page and it looks real good. So, like you said, the spectacle. Yeah, yeah, uh, and obviously you see Two Face sort of in all this chaos at the end, like watching mm-hmm. some of it. This idea that yeah, like these this family are going to be uncomfortably encroaching in all of the the, the rogues gallery of gotham mm-hmm. and like their place in this city and we've already seen like how awful like they've been to two-face and like this idea that harvey's actually the one pretending to be two-face and 
Yeah. Like, has been forced to do all these evil things. Uh, it's really dark and sinister, and, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite things of this this arc so far. So, uh, mm-hmm. I love that they're 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 touching upon these things and uh, yeah, and getting to it. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, really good stuff. Uh, I, I've been enjoying what's been built in Detective Comics. It's mm-hmm. the sort of thing where it wasn't like amazing from issue one, but the more it's been building and the more yeah, the, the groundwork's been laid and all that stuff. Because you know, I wasn't in love with the the annual issue because I I yeah. you know for for my various reasons, but uh, all, all the main story I think has been building in a very compelling way, and it's a very different type of villain mm-hmm. for for Batman to fight. And yeah, so making another villain be somewhat sympathetic uh, in this potential coming war is very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I believe that Ram V also said that Freeze is his favorite, so being able to write mm. him this way was like a dream come true. So you could tell this is something that he's thought about for a while and it really showed through, you know, because we've we've dealt with Freeze and other stories of him dancing this, you know, kind of noble line. And here it's again, he's still a villain. It's like he's not rehabbed, but just like this understanding with Batman uh, it came off really well. So, you know, I'm happy that Ram V gets to write, you know, his characters at how he wants them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. No, very fascinating. Uh, but you read the backup, so you can give us some I, intel I did. on that. So this is the the final part of the backup featuring Two Face. In uh, it's a lot of inner monologue still, and this is when he goes to, uh, you know, earlier in the the series they talked about he was supposed to kill this doctor, and it basically comes down to the Two Face persona. The reason that Harvey is masquerading as Two Face is because the Two-Face persona was in battle with the asthma that they had given him. And the Two-Face is trying to get control back of Harvey, uh, but while also keeping this, you know, keeping this thing at bay until finally Harvey, you know, denies the Two-Face persona so much that it can engage with the asthma one-on-one and reveals that Two-Face wasn't created when Harvey, you know, had his acid thrown on it two-face has always been there two-face was the thing that that protected him from bullies it's that dark side that exists in everybody that you know are you willing to go there and that with harvey with the way that he was raised with the abuse from his dad and the stuff that he had to do you know as a lawyer the two-face persona just kept getting fed and fed until finally the acid was what allowed him to come out fully yeah and And also literally gave him a face (laughs) right and actually gave him a face right and so it's created the split personality because it's it had become so strong with Harvey constantly in battle of trying to who's getting in control. And that Harvey still has this strength because all Two-Face wants to know is who Batman is. And Harvey won't give it to him. And that's what's keeping him in check. So as we see this happening, Harvey's just going through the motions now because he wants the organs to still think that the asthma is in control and that the two-faced persona has defeated it and now harvey's back to fighting the two-faced persona and trying to maintain that he's still working for them but symbolically he drops that gold mask that they had given him uh in in the main story you know uh to to show that like yeah no i'm working for myself i'm working for gotham so it's another one of those you know kind of how we got with freeze is that he's not involved in Orgum's thing because this is his Gotham too. You know, it's not just Bruce's Gotham or Batman's Gotham is the villains are starting to show or the rogues gallery 
is starting to show like no we're not going to take the city down either um so yeah, it was it was really nice the arts you know that kind of wacky kind of like pop art style at times when we get the two-faced persona and him yelling at harvey so um yeah so far so good like i don't feel bad that i've been reading those yeah it's cool um all right what you written the whole uh plusher then so the main the main book i'm gonna give an 8.5 the backup i'm gonna give an eight so i'll give the full book an 8.5 yeah uh i think uh i'm happy to give it the 8.5 as well is it's i mean it's building some really interesting things and it wouldn't surprise me that if much like running into mr freeze here briefly if we run into some other villains who can be at least a little bit sympathetic uh you mm-hmm. know over the course of the of the arc to maybe be like hey yeah these are villains but they're like there are villains right there are scoundrels mm-hmm. and ultimately maybe that's going to be a big t- you know yeah. thing to play with later on uh when we're right. really at war with the family so mm-hmm. uh no, very very interesting so uh that is detective comics Action Comics 1050, Philip K. Johnson, Tom Taylor, and Joshua Williamson all writing mm-hmm. uh, with Mike Perkins, Nick Dragata, and Clayton Henry on the art. Um, yeah, I saw your tweet as I was eating uh, breakfast this morning, and I was like, oh boy. I, I like yeah. the cruelty, the cruelty of giving me a couple of pages of good art at the start and then shifting. To, it felt like it felt like most of the issue was Clayton Henry to me, but I mean, I don't know if I'm yeah. just. Maybe maybe Dragata's art I, I'm not as familiar with. Maybe I just didn't notice the change to that. But oh, I was noticing the big heads though mm-hmm. <laughs> on Clayton Henry's art. I'll tell you that right now. The, the five heads. Oh jeez. Oh, that's who drew. That's why I know that name. All right, so Nick Dragota was on East of West. So ah, okay, okay. That's why I know that name. So I just had to pull him up. So yeah, so I know what pages are theirs now. So yeah, makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, the Clayton, I, I'm not, I wasn't that as upset as you on the Clayton Henry art because there's some pages that look really, really good. It's all of the action stuff, but we always say that with Clayton Henry, right? That the action sequences tend to look a lot better than the, you know, the profiles. Of yeah, the, or, but you, you or the, you know, the the bust up. So. Yeah, but you give me a couple of Mike Perkins pages, which I, th- yeah. I mean, I think it was Mike Perkins at the start, a little, little yes. Perkins. Uh, and I'm like, okay, there's a mood, there's an atmosphere, and then. Uh-huh this ultra clean big head yeah. style that it goes to does not match with Perkins whatsoever. There's zero no. complimenting to be done. So no, absolutely. Uh, so it's mostly one story that I assume they collaborated on in the writing. And then yeah. there's like three epilogue endings that all kind of set up the three various books that we're getting coming out of this. Yeah. Uh, but the big thing in this is that Lex uses Manchester Black's powers and it kills Manchester Black seemingly. Um, and Manchester Black has a motor defiance where he's like, Goading Lex by saying, hey, do you know what Superman says about you when he's on his own? Uh, and he's like, nothing. He doesn't even think about you. All these millions and trillions you've spent trying to defeat him and get under his skin. He doesn't even think about you. So I thought it was going to be like, yeah, that that Clark cares about you. He wants you to do well. But no, Manchester Black took the knife and twisted it because he knew, he knew his time was up to, yeah. you know, what can I say to Lex that's going to mess him up more than anything? And it's like, oh yeah, he doesn't even think of you. <laughs> that was yeah. so brutal. I loved it. Yeah. And it, it, it was in character. That's the thing. Even, even though it may technically be true in the sense that Superman yeah. never brought him up because he was too busy dealing with Warworld and all the yeah. other shit. Like, 
the fact that Manchester Black would frame it this way because that's that fits his character more than yeah. it, this is more about Manchester Black's character than it is about Superman's character. Yep. Uh, but anyway, uh, the big thing he does uh, that we get revealed throughout the issue is that. Lex, because I, I wasn't a fan when when they announced that we were going to be putting the, the can of worms, the lid was going to go back right. on, and everyone was going to like not know Clark was Superman anymore. Um, I was vocal at the time, saying that I, I thought it was a shame to sort of try and retcon that so soon. Mm-hmm. And while I still think overall that, I will say the idea that it wasn't Clark's choice and that Lex is taking this from yeah. him because he doesn't want the world to look at Clark and John as, as humans and as one of them. He wants them to see them as other. The fact that he's taking this back, uh, you know, by force, and, it all, you know, it gives Perry, like, a, a minor stroke. Uh, stroke? Yeah. yeah. Uh, try, trying to deal with this. And it's even... The, the only thing I can compare this to, bizarrely, is, is something from the hit television show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. If anyone remembers season five of Buffy... Uh, the main villain, Glory, shares, like, a human body with a guy named Ben, but anyone who, like, witnesses the transformation or, like, knows about it, like, they just kind of, like, can't comprehend it, and they just, like, forget it, basically, instantly. And it's kind of set up later in this issue that that's kind of what's going to happen with, like, any footage of Clark being Superman that where it shows that he is both, because that exists now, because yeah. the secret's been out for a while. Um... They'll basically just, do, or even Westworld's and other comparisons, they'll just yeah. basically look at it and go, this doesn't mean anything to me. I don't understand yeah. this. No, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of how, uh, that's how I think about, like, the fifth dimensional, like, their actual bodies. That's why they show up as imps, because mm. we can't comprehend them. Like, even in the arts, if you ever saw how, in a Morrison book, their true forms, it's always just this this mess of, like, letters and facial features and whatever because our brains aren't supposed to be able to comprehend them um and it was a nice layer because i i felt the same as you that like all right well i like that that superman and clark are the same person right it gets rid of some of the silliness but the reason that lex did it was to make john and clark both seem more alien to people because now they they you know they're not human they're back to being the aliens um it, it is quite dastardly Right. Like, um, and then the fact that Lex tries to spin it off that he was doing Clark a favor, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, you were, you're way more interesting when, when you have the Clark Kent persona, you know? Um, but yeah, man, the, whoever was writing the, the Lex in this really had it nailed. I don't know. Uh, from, from, the sound, the from the sounds of it, cause there was interviews with the writers, uh, okay. this past week. It sounds like they were all sort of collaborating and, Okay. Like talking specifically about Lex and how to like how how can Lex win? Like what what can we do with Lex over these books to to make him like you know still oh. the ultimate villain to Superman and all that stuff? I, it's it's fun, it's funny because obviously there's the protective bubble over the uh, the, Kents. the Kents and they explain that most Justice League members and Teen Titans and stuff all have like like they all they all have built in like blocks for like any telepathic attacks. From, so, yeah, from Martian Manhunter, like he's yeah. he's trained them. So you know. So they all still remember, and right. Clark's family happened to be under the bubble, so they all still remember. Right. But Perry, who comes over for, for dinner, obviously was outside the bubble when this actual, like, mm-hmm. you know, wave hit everyone. Mm-hmm. So he immediately started to have this, like, attack when yeah. he couldn't compute that Clark was Superman. Um, and there's some interesting details brought up that I, ca- I kind of like. I-, I do like Batman mm-hmm. saying to Clark, hey, you know, as much as you like this, 
you know, was it really fair that, like, Lois Lane was kind of reduced to just being Superman's wife? Yeah. After this secret came out? And Clark kind of admits, like, you know, that was kind of an unforeseen effect of it. And I'm like, you know, that's yeah. a good point. Like, the, the, Yeah, in the meta commentary, it's something I didn't really think of. Right? And that's kind of what it became, is it was... Yeah. I mean, they still wrote Lois very strong. Like, I don't want to give, like, Tom Taylor or, you know, because that's really the only place we got Lois, right? Yeah, but, in, but ever yeah. since the secret came out, she was basically mm-hmm. just writing a book about Superman. And right. Stuff, you know, she 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 wasn't really being Lois and investigating stuff anymore. Right. And that's what I'm saying. So even in the meta context, it was something that I didn't think about. And then you, when I look back at it, I go, yeah, she kind of was just like Clark or Superman's wife in, in Superboy's, you know, mom. And I was like, yeah, that isn't fair to Lois. Lois is, a, you know, she can carry her own series, you know, so... That was a and that Batman point that out too. I thought that was pretty smart. Yeah, that was uh, that was good. Oh god, some of these heads. <laughs> I'm just as I'm looking through this. Oh god, I hate them. Anyway, uh, but then, then there's the other part of it, which is like he's worried that John, because John's always had this open kind of like secret. He's never really mm-hmm. had the secret identity, at least from a like, you know a relative age. Yeah. Um, but then you see John like immediately seems to be kind of liking that no one knows who yeah. he is, and it's like if anything, being constantly out in the open before has been this kind of pressure that he didn't even realize he had until it's been lifted and now it's yeah. like hey i can just you know go into a, a store and get get a drink yeah. and no one will recognize me and mm-hmm. it's kind of freeing in a weird way so uh you know you, you've got all this kind of stuff at play but ultimately this is lex doing this uh and mm-hmm. superman like goes and deals with lex and obviously brings him in and lex is like you know i have to admit you know between everything going on with Dark Crisis and, like, you've been away for War World, it, it became clear, no, the world does need a Superman. I hate to admit it, but mm-hmm. it can be my Superman. It can be, like, let me fix you. I'll make you the best Superman you've ever been. Yeah, that was the other thing where I was like, Lex, what are you on, bud? <laughs> in, in what world was this going to work? You, He's going to be Lex Corp Superman? Like, there's no way. Yeah, not um, a chance. So, yeah. I mean, Superman just, just like, T- takes his purple and green robot like mechs mm-hmm. ass up to the moon uh where he can't harm it because you know because lex immediately starts endangering civilians and right. superman's like i'm not having this we're going to the moon where i can have a proper conversation mm-hmm. <laughs> and like no you're not doing this and you know it's, it's a big sequence you know there's this punching in the moon and stuff he ends up like punching the 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 mech suit uh, uh, he's still got his space suit underneath so he's not like in danger yeah. but he punches the mech suit away uh, so it's all gone. It does reveal that Superman's got a bit of a new ability, uh, where he can kind of just traverse like large distances in space, like it's nothing. Yeah. So I feel like though they were going back to the kind of golden age thing, where he was mm. like, "Look, I am Superman. I can do anything. I I keep my stuff down for the benefit of everybody else. Don't mess with me." So I I did like that because that was Stern Clark like. He didn't threaten Lex, but he was like, "Don't, don't test me." Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm cool with the 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 threat, as it were, uh, if you yeah. want to call it that. I I don't necessarily like whenever anyone tries to add to Superman's power set, I tend not to like it very much because mm-hmm. I think one of the things with having such a powerful being is there should still be firm rules so that we can understand mm-hmm. when there's a danger to him and understand like like as long as you have a set of rules and you adhere to them. I don't think it's too big. Yeah. I don't think he's too yeah. powerful. But when you keep adding on more power th- powers and you keep sort of saying, now he can do this and he can, you know, because he basically says here that time and space 
basically yeah. don't apply to me anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, don't, don't, that's too, that's too much. That's a, it's a bit too no, far. No, it is. But but again, and again, talking about the meta narrative here, it's it's again, it's these writers going back to the golden age of Superman, and that like, you know, this man could used to be able to move planets and stuff, right? In the mm. comics, and it's just like, well, yeah, he never could stop. He just never flexed that much. And here, when there's this big threat from Lex, you know, this is where he'll use that. Because I don't, I don't even know how far Lex had teleported him to, but you know, Lex had thought like, oh, he's out of my hair now, and he turns back around, and Clark's right there. Different star so, system, by the sounds of it. Yeah, and so I just like again the flex from Clark. There, it was like, look, man, I don't like to have to go to that level, and I don't for everyone else's benefit. So please don't push me. Um. And again, yeah, it was stern dad mode, and and that's how I kind of like Angry Superman. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so we get like three kind of final pages or final scenes mm-hmm. that kind of set up the three books coming out of it. Um, ones for Superman, which I'll be honest, the art here was so like suggestive, or so yeah. not suggestive. What's the word I'm looking for? Like. Lexi's head looks so weird that I didn't even realize yeah. this was meant to be Lex until yeah. I like I was like, who's this? Te- who's this villain they're teasing in the Shrakers Island? And I'm like, oh no, this is yeah. just Lex in a prison cell. Um, yeah. I know, the head. I was thinking this might be like is it in Simon or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> like because his head was drawn so big and bulging. And I don't know, but anyway, bulbous. So it's teasing Lex for for Superman issue one. Uh, it says to be continued there. So that's what Williamson's going to be leading off with, mm-hmm. and then the tease for. This, you know, John's book that Taylor's doing is that someone's going to ruin the multiverse killing different Clark Kents. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> you know, that reveal, that reveal uh, with the page turn. Yeah. Like, I knew who it was going to be, but I wasn't ready. So you, you turn it and it's Val Zod, mm-hmm. who Tom Taylor created. Like, such such a nice touch. Yeah, so he, he's the one investigating this and mm-hmm. they're going to come to John for help because he's not a Clark. Yeah. Uh, so that's very interesting. That sets up that book, and then the action setup, which has been kind of been teased for a while, is the, the yeah. Metallo stuff. Uh, but you, you get this like next part of it, which is that Lex via hologram uh, is like there to greet Metallo as he's waking up, and they've given him a very human-looking body where he can feel and taste and smell again. He has a bit of a green glow and a little bit of like metal coming out of his chest, but for the most part, yeah. he looks human again. So he's given him, like, a physical form that feels human, um, which, of course, comes with a price, as it always does with Lex, but... uh, I just feel like like, John's not going to play ball. I don't don't feel like Corbin's going to play ball with Lex here. Right, and so um, I like this. I like Android Metello. Like, it's always cool when they make him, like, this monstrosity, kind of how he was, but I like kind of when he can blend in with everybody, and it's just a kryptonite heart. It kind of glows. Mm-hmm. Um, so this with the T, where it almost looks like he had like a um, like an autopsy. It kind of gives us like this macabre, you know, figure to it to yeah. uh, Metallo. I really, really like that. So, um, but yeah, man, um, I like the way that that reveal happened because it was all through that first person. You know, we hear them which talking is, about him. Which to compare it to other cyborg <clears throat> stuff, it's very Robocop <clears throat> to like have yeah. him wake up in first person. Yeah. And hearing them talk about what they've done to him and then see the reveal of what he actually looks like. Yeah. Uh, you know, and given what Lex did, you know, by threatening his, his sister and, like, right. framing her for a crime and stuff, like, I suspect that Metallo will feel forced into helping him for a while, but 
yeah. maybe he'll get like a, a moment of defiance later on and he'll, he'll get to rebel against lex and that'll be kind of yeah. a fun uplifting moment i'd expect yeah uh so yeah no yeah, you know i think the art in this obviously is very wonky i hate the clayton mm-hmm. art with a passion but uh, I do like what it sets up for the status quo of Superman going forward. I think Lex feels really villainous by taking this, like, yeah, you know, like this idea that taking back the secret is actually something that will hurt Clark and his family, and the way that Lex, or you know, in Lex's warped mind, is really yeah. is really villainous. And I really like that for him as a villain. Um, I also really like setting up Metallo for the for the action comic stuff, and mm-hmm. I like the plot to set up for the the super. I, I, he might say Superboy because it's John, but it's not. You know yeah, what I mean? uh, it's the other Superman. But you know, setting up that for that book, I also really yeah. so I like everything that's set up for going forward. Yeah, I was gonna say the the uh, making John and Clark seem less human to everyone. That also fits in with the Red Sin story, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from yeah. from that motivation. So I like that it it threads that needle fairly well too. So it seems to be that's what the status quo of the villains wanting to do with Superman is like. Let's remind people that he's an alien. You know, um, so people don't trust him. Um, and again, I like having villainous Lex back. Like we had that kind of tweener Lex for a while. That was like, you know, even when he was doing stuff with Perpetua, there was a sense of he's trying to make things better. Now it's just basically to like, I hate Superman for reminding me that I'm not, or for reminding me that I'm just human. Um, we're back to that petty Lex and man, do I love a petty Lex. So... I think we're in a good spot with Superman going forward. <clears throat> yeah, it feels like an actual line of comics again, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool. So, uh, very good. What do you give an action comics 1050? Oof, if the art was a bit stronger, I I, I would go just a, a scotch higher, but I'm going to give this an 8.5. Yeah, I think I need to go with like a... Hmm. I'm going to go with 7.5. Okay. Because they are... Yeah. Like, I, I forgot about the bulbous head Lex until you had brought it up. Oh. I tried to put it out of my brain. Because, yeah. Um, I, I legitimately got confused at who I was looking at yeah. because the art made it look like it was, like, it was so bulbous new. that I was thinking, yeah. oh, is this some sort of uh, other character? Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's, it's just Who's Lex. this mutant? Yeah, it's just Lex. <laughs> yeah. It's just Lex with a badly drawn head. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm, so I'm just going to go 7.5. But I do like everything that's set up for the super lane going forward, which is nice. Uh, it's just just the same shame that Clayton Henry, uh, I think, is on one of the books. It's just a shame. Uh, but hey. Uh, all right. DC versus Vampires issue twelve. James Tynion the fourth, Matthew Rosenberg writing with Otto Schmidt on the art. So this is the final issue, uh, of this. And I gotta say, didn't really like how this ended. I don't don't I don't think it stuck the landing at all. I, well, one of my complaints about the last few issues and basically the last half of the book, so Mm -hmm. it was great and had the big reveal of Dick around issue five Mm -hmm. or six. The last half of this book, which I complained about last issue, was just these three groups of characters doing their own missions. But I was like, oh, but it's got some build up. The ending with Supergirl maybe being in that explosion was kind of like a good cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. And she's going to swoop in and help save the day in Gotham once she's like powered up again. I was shocked when I got to the end of this issue and all three of the groups, you know, Oliver in Smallville, Supergirl with the others in Australia, mm-hmm. and the main stuff in Gotham, all it never interacted, they never, they never nope. affected each other. It was basically just the story ended with Barbara and Dick and like some sort of, you know, vampire romance, revenge mm-hmm. way where Barbara becomes queen of the vampires 
after being bitten, sired by a dick, and like the Supergirl thing didn't even matter. Like she, yeah, she's no. she, she's back and she's got her powers again, and she right. she she but, did, but they, nothing comes of it. No, but they also they they changed Clark. We never saw Clark after that, right? So we don't even know what a super, you know, a a, a vampire Kryptonian is like capable of because they've kept that hidden the whole time. So she's still not out of the woods. Like, yeah, she got her solar energy back, but now she has to still hang up above the clouds. You know, like yeah. So, and like you said, it, it doesn't matter. She does. She had no impact on on the outcome. And I just felt like they were writing for the sequel more than they were trying to finish a, a story. Uh, and and like it's not even the fact that like Barbara becomes the vampire queen. It's the way in which it happens. It happens so quickly. And like I missed the part where like I saw her drink the blood, but I like I don't know. I just felt like the way that she was, I didn't feel like she would just give up that quickly. Like dick or not, you know what I mean? Like she was so like ready to go in there and kill him and end this and even brought Harley to do it. But then it all just seemed like she wanted to be queen and that was her end game. And that doesn't, that didn't track for me with anything else. And then even just the way that it's told through the art, everything happens just so quickly. I thought I was missing a page in my book because I kept flipping back to figure out like what led to her deciding to drink his blood. And it just, it was just the page before she was fighting him, you know? So yeah, it was very much a letdown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I wasn't really into the, the way it wrapped up either. Mm -hmm. Like it, it kind of felt like they were going for this thing where because Dick was in her dreams and it was kind of like that vampire mm -hmm. trance thing of like drawing in the yeah. victim kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It, but it never really felt like it really played with that and it felt like as soon as she became a vampire it was like okay now i'm queen so now i'm going to change yeah. everything uh to do what i want to do blah 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 and that, that that was basically it um well and then at that point too right dick's dead so wasn't their plan as if they if she kills dick everyone would turn back i don't think so no okay that's what i thought that's why she was going to kill dick because if you kill the king right uh, you know and everyone reverts back and that was that was the end game. But then she just becomes queen. No, I don't think they ever. I don't think they ever suggested that everyone okay. would turn back. No. Gotcha. So she just wanted to kill him because you know. Well, he's the king, so you take out the king. Yeah. They're, they're much weaker overall as a result, right. kind of thing. Um, um, yeah, there's a big thing where Captain Cold fires his ice gun into the the sky to create like a a beam yeah. of like solar light to come down and hit Supergirl, yeah. which you know is is you know it's, freeze, a, it's a big to moment. Freeze the ash in the sky. I did like, even though it's kind of when I think about it, it's really stupid, but him going like, oh, I can't do that. And then he goes and does it anyways. And sure, it blows up the gun and himself in the process. But, you know, they just set up that how we how that's impossible. And then it happens anyways. So there's just a lot of that in this book of, oh, we can't do that. And then they do it anyways. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I don't really have a problem with that. It's just, you know, he, he's doubting it. He doesn't think it can work, and then it mm -hmm. kind of does, but, but at a price, whatever. Like, I'm fine yeah. with that. But my, yeah. my, my bigger problem is that none of the three plots actually ended up affecting the overall. Mm -hmm. Like, it didn't feel like they came back together in any way, shape, or form uh -huh. at the end. My, my expectation the whole time was that if Supergirl was going to get powered up, she was going to fly to Gotham and mm -hmm. intervene and be like the, the turning point for the fight. Yeah. Whether it was going to succeed or fail ultimately in the end right. and give us a sad or good ending is really right. you know is irrelevant but it never actually played into it at all 
Babs just becomes the vampire queen and says, but there's still human enemies out there. And there's just a couple of panels of, like, Oliver with his people in Smallville, oh, right. Supergirl with her people in Australia, and that's it. And it's like, it does yeah. feel like it's been left open intentionally so there can be a sequel. Yeah. But honestly, it's left me not want to yeah. read a sequel. If there's a sequel, I'm not interested in it. Just because, you know, because again, like, okay, Superman's still out there as a vampire, so that kind of puts Kara in check, right? You know, what what use is, is Kara having powers if she can be turned at any point? You know? So it kind of takes their card away. Um, I, I did like that they put over Mary Marvel a little bit uh, here, talking about how she didn't go down like the rest of her family. I did like that. It made Mary feel pretty special, you know? And if there was any caveat to a, to a sequel, I'd like to see how that, you know, goes. Like, Mary versus the rest of the Shazam family, I think would be interesting. But uh, yeah, outside, I really did enjoy the Oliver stuff, though, with the Swamp Thing, you know, and then him taking out Hawkman, because I do love the dynamic that Hawkman and Green Arrow have. Well, how did he love hate relationship? Explain how he did that, though. How did he take out Swamp Thing? Or take out Hawkman, rather? Yeah, so he just, uh, right, wasn't it that he, he, it was the old rope a dope. He let Hawkman think that he was going to, that they they have the upper hand, and then he used the wasn't it a big piece of the swamp thing, like a, like a almost like a sword. Oh, you're struggling he here. It through him. No, no. So yeah. he, he has a bow and arrow made out of swamp thing parts. Yeah. He fires right. him with a bunch of the swamp thing arrows, and mm-hmm. then he says swamp thing do it, and then swamp thing makes all the arrows expand and grow. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just I like that that's where they're thinking because it was a lot of Hawkman talking to you know, Ollie about just give up. You're not going to win, you know, and it just goes into their whole dynamic. So, um, yeah, for some reason I thought that he had a, maybe I'm confusing him with the, the Avengers versus the vampire story. Cause I remember one of those characters using man thing in a similar way, um, for, to, to grow like a wooden, like spear that they stabbed through one of them. But, but yeah, ultimately this left me super disappointed. I, I really liked the first half when there was that mystery, like, you know, anybody could be a, a vampire, you know, and we had the, you know, the death of, of um, Zan, you know, and Jaina trying to track who had done it with Bruce. That was, it was working really well there because the story was more than just, you know, humanity versus this vampire apocalypse. And once it became kind of about the vampire apocalypse, it started losing steam for me and ultimately ended with a, with a thud. <clears throat> yeah, I think Superman, by the way, I think he might have, been killed already in the spin-off book we weren't reading. Oh, well that's that's a shame. I wish they were more clear about that. Cuz yeah, cuz still she can she can be turned though cuz he was hypnotized by Wonder Woman. I know, so, but you, you kept bringing up like Superman's and I'm like yeah. I don't know, it doesn't feel like he is. So I just I, I googled Superman in DC versus Vampires yeah, and it sounds like gotcha. he, it sounds like he like his story was done in that and he's yeah. cuz well, it, it doesn't remember, feel, it doesn't feel like he's yeah. a factor in like these no. last few issues at all. No. So I he's like so so removed. Well, I get why you were saying it. It felt like yeah. it didn't fit with what the story was doing. So I was just corroborating no, something fell right. off. Well and I just get a little like I don't say irritated, but like like Rosenberg called me out specifically because I kept saying like the, the whole Kryptonian thing with the vampires is the vampire lore wasn't strong enough for me for the Kryptonians. Like I needed I wanted to see more of Superman and how this reacted with him. Because they even mentioned, though, at a certain point, once the sun was blocked out, right, 
it it took away Kara's Kryptonian abilities. So now Superman's just running around with with vampire abilities, you know. So I I needed to see why he was such because they kept mentioning Superman uh, up there with the with the leagues of Wonder Woman and whatever is kind of their ace cards, but he never impacted the story. Once he got turned, we never saw him again. So that's why I kept waiting for maybe like oh Kryptonians kind of can fight through or whatever, and that that made me hopeful for for Supergirl. Like yeah, once she gets her her powers back, it's gonna be hard to turn her. But then I always felt like we I don't know where Superman is. So what what's going on with him? I just wish it was clearer. But yeah, Rosenberg was like, oh, so you're upset over a thing that we haven't addressed yet? But it hasn't been addressed. Like, right? We never really addressed the Superman thing. So, oh, well, maybe in the miniseries, but then didn't read Yeah, them. Yeah, maybe. Because there was a spinoff six issue miniseries that right. we all dipped we out after the first issue because it wasn't very yeah. good. Um, yeah. No, I mean, it ends with kind of this, like, hopeful moment of, like, okay, this is kind of a bad ending, but Supergirl's got her powers back, so it ends with that mm-hmm. final word, hope, on the last page. Yeah. And, you know, I just... I don't know, the, the entire back half of this book felt like it was spinning its wheels, and it felt like these three separate plots were taking ages to get anywhere, and the hope was is that at least the payoff to them all finally sort of culminating would lead to a big finale. And instead, it felt like they didn't affect each other, and... I don't know, the back half of the book just feels like kind of a waste of time. <laughs> it's like, yeah. all of the good ideas, like, it, it feels like, it feels like, a, it really does feel like a story of two books. It feels like yeah. the first six issues were one book, which was very, very good, and it, really, it was a really fun way of, like, exploring the idea of vampires in the DC universe, mm-hmm. with the big twist of Nightwing being the one who was, like, behind everything, at least to a point. And yeah. then the back half of the book has just been this, like, wheel-spinning, like, not not search for MacGuffins, but just like these three different individual teams going off to do their own plots. Mm-hmm. They just feel like they were building up and taking ages to get anywhere. And then the, the ending just feels like, oh, there's not even an ending here. If, again, it feels kind of just really left open so there can be a sequel yeah. if they want there to be one. I, yeah, I, I have to give like the, the entire back half of this book, which wasn't like hard to read and there was fun no. moments here or there. I mean, even in this issue... There's a fun moment where Dick and Barbara are talking about Bruce, and like Harley just goes, "Who's yeah. Bruce?" And I thought that was kind of funny, because yeah. uh, you know, obviously they're not hiding any secret identity anymore because it doesn't matter. Yeah. But they've also not specifically told her <laughs> that Bruce Wayne was Batman, mm-hmm. so I thought that was kind of funny. But like that's it. That's all I've really got to say about it. Um, the entire back half of the book just feels very unfulfilling, and it felt like it was just kind of a series of like busy work to like have all the characters doing something that yeah. didn't really culminate to anything meaningful in the end and that feels like a big shame to me yeah i agree i just i finished this book i think on wednesday night and was just like eh, okay uh what, what, what next comic am i reading you know and it just kind of left me like i didn't like this so i need to wash it out so yeah and that's a disappointment that's a disappointment too because I like Tynan and Rosenberg as writers, and I just, I guess I expect more from them, especially pulling threads together, because, you know, both of them have in other books, so. Yeah, um, well, we know that, you know, Tynan had the idea and then left it for Rosenberg to script. I yeah. do wonder, like, if this was originally 12 issues in the, the plotting phase, or it it, it, it kind of feels like it shifted in the back half it feels like the back yeah. half was written by someone different and i do yeah. and even though i've liked some of rosenberg's other stuff yeah i do wonder if it became more a rosenberg book in the second half especially mm-hmm. since the tie-in series which was also rosenberg i think 
uh like yeah. was instantly like no i don't like this very much yeah so i yeah. I, I have to speculate how much tynan was involved with the back half of the story specifically mm-hmm. yeah because it feels like well, a step down that's that's a great question a huge step down even i would say so it's a shame because yeah there, there probably is like a good version of this where it's like yeah. oh we're, we're doing like vampire nightwing with like barbara being like his main like you know like love interest slash victim that he's trying to draw in with these mm-hmm. vampire like you know spellbinding hypnotizing yeah. powers because I, I could accept Barbara taking the vampire thing if she was mortally wounded, right? Like, someone that wasn't Nightwing, one of his guards, Wonder Woman or whatever, mortally wounds her, and Dick can't, you know, Dick can't bear to see her die. So that's where he's like, just just join me. Join me and live, right? And then she executes her plans. Like, well, I'm just going to be queen then, because clearly you're, you're too weak for this, you know? Then I could have bought that, but this is just... It seemed like she went in there ready to take him out just because she wanted to be queen. And that didn't gel with anything else that, you know, but you know, what, with but, her. But was that her plan going in though? I don't know if it was. I, I don't, I don't know. That's the thing. That's why it's such an odd choice there. You know? Hey, I mean, I think one of the things you said earlier that I really agree with mm-hmm. is that it feels like the moment where she decides to give in just feels like a nothing moment. I'm like, yeah. If if she if she was really fighting this and then sort of like mm-hmm. beca- succumbs to it in a moment of weakness yeah. or in a moment of like uh, desperation, that would that should feel like a big moment. And it just kind of feels like it happens in a panel. It's just like, oh, yeah. now she's just oh, she's accepting the blood. That's it. Like you know, like g- give us like some narration from her or something where she's like scared and t- scared of dying yeah. and like you know succumbs to it. But it just kind of happens like mm-hmm. a nothing moment. I don't know. Honestly, yeah, this is a very disappointing final issue, and it kind of, it kind of comes in a weird position where the back half of the book, you know, issue seven onwards, was kind of not as good as the the rest, and it started to feel like we're waiting for the final issue to justify what this last five issues mm-hmm. has been, and I don't think it did. So I think it's no. extra disappointing because of that, because we were hoping it was going to save it in a way, and it didn't. Yeah. So that's kind of a shame. Uh, yeah. Big time shame. All right, what are you, what are you giving DC vs. Um, vampires? I'm, I'm going to give this a 5.5. <sighs> That's like a death sentence coming from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, something in the yeah, 5 range sounds about right. I, Yeah, honestly, massive letdown, to be honest. Yeah. I, I think the back half of the book turned into a massive letdown overall, but this final issue really just... Was, oh, you didn't even... It felt like you didn't really have a good plan of where this yeah. was going. So yep. it just hurts it all even more in hindsight. It almost feels like I don't I don't know, Babs a vampire now. That's what that felt like, you know? Uh Yeah. So. Alright. Uh Blue Beetle, graduation day issue two, uh Josh Trujillo and uh Adrian Gutierrez uh, on the art. So uh Jaime has been banned from superheroing from the Justice League mm-hmm. and is just working in a restaurant with his aunt over the summer yep. like he was in- told he was going to. Yeah, and Palmyra City, so I thought that was going to be somewhere in Texas, but it seems like it's somewhere in Southern California, judging from, you know, the locales that he's talking about. And granted, it could it could be anywhere, mm. you know. You know, piers and sunsets aren't just, you know, key to Southern California. But the way the street that he talks about the restaurant being on feels very much like Olvera Street in downtown Los Angeles. Um, so I do love that it's keeping kind of the... 
um, that flavor of, uh, you know, Jaime's a, a Latin American guy and the book's keeping that whole vibe still, um, even though it's out of El Paso, now it's in this new city. Uh, and he seems to be adjusting not so well, right? No, like, he's measurable. He's not with his yeah. friends. He's sending them messages and uh, basically just like complain about the fact that he, he's got nothing to do and no one to be around. So he ends up going to Ted's uh, building mm-hmm. uh, in the area to, to, I don't know, just re- reach out to someone more than anything. And he gets attacked by what we're calling uh, dynasties. Yes. As uh, I'm just trying to say it like if if she was a luchadora. All right. right? I was like, is that actually how you might pronounce Anastis. it, or are you just no well, taking a stab I'm, I'm in the dark? That, no, I'm I'm guessing that it, it's said with that kind of accent, right? Just because of, of okay. where they're at and the way that it's spelled, you know. Um, so I'm imagining Penta saying it, and it would be something more akin to that than dynasties. You know, okay, but, but yeah, it's it's essentially a gold beetle, right? If yeah, he's a yeah. Beetle, this I mean, is a gold beetle. So she showed up last issue, and she shows up mm-hmm. to fight him here. Uh, eventually, Ted comes in in his blue beetle outfit to help fight her back. Um, and what's interesting is she, the suit actually comes off of her, and we see what she looks like. And mm-hmm. she's still kind of like, you know, villainous. She still doesn't seem to want to cooperate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Victoria Card, Ted's sister, who's actually mm-hmm. running the company, show up. Uh, and meet Jaime for the first time. So it says up that this is a you know another teenager or someone who's yep. been taken over by a scarab like entity, and that's who's been fighting Jaime. Uh, and Ted's like, look, I'll give you a pass to commit to the building. You can hang out and have like a like a, a non paying gig here, but for tax reasons, we can't pay you anything. <laughs> I love that where he goes that um, he goes, you know, you can come and work with me. I know you're kind of lonely at your your aunt's restaurant. You know, but for tax purposes, it's an unpaid internship. Um, I just, just it, it's very much blue and gold humor. Yeah. There. So. Well, Ted's sister even gives him shit for hanging around with yeah. uh, Booster. Um, yeah. Uh, ultimately, all that really happens after that is that he goes back. Uh, you know, not home, home, but like where he's staying just now at the restaurant, and his aunt is like, "You're working a double shift tomorrow," but your friend showed up to see. And he goes back outside, and who is it but Starfire? Uh, mm-hmm. And the artist of this this book has drawn her with a ridiculous amount of hair. Yes. Definitely going for that Titans TV show vibe of the hair. You know? Like, uh, they have the curls mm. and everything. So that that's what I was getting. Well, I think it's maybe um, like a mixture of hair, but also like the fire energy that yeah, comes yeah, off yeah. of her is like... But, but it, it, it's quite comical because it just looks like a huge amount of hair in that last yeah, page. Yeah. Well, because they they tend to draw, people tend to draw Starfire Starfire like that with the with the bushy hair. So here, the fact that it was going more towards like ringlets and whatever, you know, it does give it that appearance that there's way much more of it. You know, yeah. um, just real quick, I so I pulled up Victoria Cord because I'm like I'm not that familiar, and I know Ted Cord for the most part. Had never so turns out that Victoria Cord is going to be played by Susan Sarandon in the Blue Beetle movie that's coming out this summer. So I think this is the first oh. appearance of Victoria Coordinate in the comics. So by the time this is wrapped up, that movie should be out. Um, so, so yeah. So I'm sure this is going to be a big character going forward. Well, for no, this, this will be finished before the movie comes out. It's only six issues, huh? Yeah, because the movie's coming yeah. out in the summer or something like that. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. So, uh, 
But I mean, yeah. if it does come out, like, after the Batgirl movie, yeah. I'm not convinced it'll see the right light of day, but... Hey, I saw a movie poster for it at my local theater when I oh, went to the Fablemans. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. You know? It's this weird but, thing, uh, though, because we know that they're scrapping everything and starting yeah. fresh, you know, outside yeah. of the Batman, which is getting a sequel, and I guess right. Joker, but... Like yeah. everything else is starting fresh with a new universe, so it's just kind of weird yeah. that we've got a couple of these movies coming out that are just like, you know, you're coming out and then you're going to be forgotten about because we're not continuing yeah. anything. But uh, yeah, so, but no, um, I liked a lot of this with the with you know, Jaime trying not to you know transform, but the 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 scarab doing it anyways, and then you find out that this girl, um, that that's Dynastis, her um. It seems like she has a more of an open communication with her scarab. So I'm wondering if this is like, if this reach war that's going on, maybe it's almost like a civil war type deal, you know? And that so these two scarabs on opposite sides or or something, but it just seems they're more in communication than Jaime is with, with his, you know, because yeah. his is reverted back to speaking reach, you know, and he can't understand that, so... Yeah, uh, Starfire just shows up at the end and says, the planet is preparing for war. Uh, and you're the only one who can stop it. So, uh, what Starfire knows, or why she's coming to recruit mm-hmm. Jaime when the Justice League have said he's to, you know, stay grounded. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a reasonable enough read. Like it's, it's yeah. much like the first issue. You know, if it, it went in quick enough, uh, it has a couple of moments of humor. Um, but it's not a standout. Like, it's sort of thing where if there was a lot of books, I probably wouldn't keep up with it. But you know, this yeah. it was a light week, so I like it. It's it's. You know, it's kind of what I'm looking for in a Blue Beetle book, and it's a quick read, so, you know, I don't have to think too much about it as I'm reading it. It's uh, very action-packed. I think the art is is doing uh, a lot of fun stuff with the Beetle. And, like, There's definitely, the... it's cartoony, you know, it plays yeah. with, like, you know, eye sizes and things. You know, mm-hmm. like that last panel on the last page where it's yeah. Jaime's like, eyes are, like, bulging because uh-huh. he's, what he's yeah. hearing. You know, it's playing with some of those, like, more expressive characteristics and stuff, mm-hmm. which is, you know, fine. Um... Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it's a decent yeah. book. Like, I, you know, I, I'm yeah. not like over the moon with it. I'm not rushing to recommend it, but I'm also not not mad at reading it either. Yeah, no, I mean, it was the it was the last thing that I read. Well, not Sergeant Rock actually was. It was the second to last thing that I read this week. Just you know, um, no, not a lot of urgency to to read it, but yeah, I'm still going to. It's, it's fun. Um, all right, were you were you reading it? I'm gonna give it a seven point five. Yeah, I'll just go with a seven, I think. Just a straight seven for okay. me. Um, it's good. It's not mm-hmm. great, but it's good. That's so. all so I've got for you. Uh, the Nice House in the Lake, issue 12. James Ty in the fourth writing with Alvaro Martinez Bueno on the on the art. So, yeah. Uh, let's just start off with uh, the lead here, which is I got to the last page and it said the words, end of cycle one. And I thought, Tynan, you beautiful bastard. Yep. You beautiful. So I'm ready. I'm ready for this to be like, okay, knowing Tynan's style, we're not going to get all the answers, but I feel he'll leave us in a spot where it's like, oh, that was a nice story. You know, I wonder what's next for him. I wasn't expecting this this to go to a second part. Uh, honestly, it, like, I, feel, I feel that there's going to be at least two more. Like, if this yeah. is the end of cycle one, I'm expecting at least yeah. two other, like, series to come out of this. Oh. <sighs> Like and I, I, this book, this issue is very good, and this issue is doing a lot of great mm-hmm. stuff with uh, revealing stuff about Walter 
and uh, Nora specifically revealing that she kind of knows some stuff and did know some stuff from before mm-hmm. about this place and how it works and all the rest of it. And we'll get into that. But as it was getting towards those last couple of pages, I was kind of feeling like, yeah, but we set all that stuff up at the start about them in the future and it looked like things hadn't gone so well. And especially since this book sets up some things about them trying to make it look like everything's going okay is part of like what's going to be going on. So mm-hmm. when I was getting towards the end, I was like, there's only a few pages left and I feel like like how much of this can, can really feel, it feels like there's a lot to get to still. And then it got to that final moment and it was like end of cycle one. I'm like, you beautiful bastard. <laughs> Once we got to the text pages there, and I was like, "Oh, what is all this?" Yeah, because yeah, it adds so much to what we've already got going uh-huh. on. Yeah, and then I'm just like, "Ah, oh. the way that it adds to the pacing, because you you turn that that page, and then you get to these texts, and you're reading the conversation, right, between Nora and um, why am I blanking on the the main guy? Walter. Um, Walter. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's where this ended. What is this? It almost felt like a post credit scene." That puts the whole rest of the movie in perspective. Mm-hmm. And then I got to the end of that second page at the bottom and I just, it went off and I went and I turned the page and you see that, uh, the, you know, this beautiful little, it's the house on the lake and everything looks serene. And then, yeah, basically end of part one. And you're just like, oh my goodness, what, what are we doing? And, and the first part of this is like open chaos. Like I had no idea where any of it was going, like in the best way. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it basically boils down to uh, it's the the second artist is with Walter, and Walter's mm-hmm. basically saying, "Look, you've got three choices, right? This is what it boils down mm-hmm. to. You can either, um, like I can wipe everyone's memories, and we can all go back to like not knowing what's going on and continue that way. Um, I can't remember what the second choice was, but the third choice, which is the important one, mm-hmm. <laughs> is that I let you kill me, um, and." You know, you keep the balance because you know it's actually kind of lucky that one of you died because now because yeah. only might be ten people in here, and now we're back to ten. So as long as maybe you know one of the artists like maybe read a few medical books <laughs> so that they can mm-hmm. pretend to be the medical person, you a doctor. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can pretend you can play a doctor, but he goes, yeah, my my supervisors will get mad at me for getting over letting you guys overpower me, but the experiment is still ongoing, so they'll mostly leave you guys alone. Well, yeah, but he also says they won't even notice that I'm gone for a long time. Like, you know, maybe yeah. it, it may be a hundred years before they even come yeah. and check and find out that I'm not here. And at least at that point, this the experiment will have been successful enough that they'll maybe let it go. Uh, maybe they'll kill you then, but at least you've had a right. hundred years of living before that happens. Right. Um, but if you don't, if, the, if you... If you c- create chaos then they'll know very quickly that something's wrong and they'll come and stomp you out well, and that'll just be the end of it and all i can think of is how this book opened right with all the fire and mm. nora looking like she was in a post-apocalyptic event and that's not how this book ends at all so what the heck is in store for cycle two and three or let's just say two because we're, we're you know we're getting, yeah, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves but yeah, I, yeah yeah but you know what i mean yeah and it sort of reveals that there's other pods, there's other like groups of humans mm-hmm. that have been preserved, and this is just Walter's group. And yeah. he kind of, you know, and it's sort of like this thing where all throughout this, the series, it's been setting up that he cares about the people that he's picking. Yep. And in this issue, it kind of makes it clear that he wasn't supposed to pick people he cares for. He was supposed to pick yeah. the right people. And he's already kind of broken the rules by picking people that he had feelings for and that he mm-hmm. wants to live. 
And that's already him breaking the rules. And it also reveals that he did speak to Nora. And it was set set up numerous times throughout the book that him and Nora had this connection where they talked like in ways that he didn't talk with anyone else. And that before all this started, he's flat out saying, like, we don't get all the conversation. We assume that she knows a lot about what's about to happen. But we get the, the tail end of it, which is, okay, you're all going to go to sleep, and then when you wake up, it'll be like you just arrived at the house and you won't remember how you got mm-hmm. here, blah, 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 blah. All the stuff we've kind of known about. Um, But she's like, hey, this isn't going to work. Like, they're going to, you know, within a couple of months, they're going to rebel and it's going to crescendo into chaos. And he's like, yeah, you're right, it is. The only way that people are going to actually become peaceful and actually continue is if they think they've defeated Walter and then kind of just accept that this is their status quo and live on from there. Like, if they don't think they've won and that they've made a choice to, like, live peacefully, then they'll always rebel against it. So even this, even this, like, let's let them think they've beat me and that they've killed me. Uh Uh-huh. So he's not really dead. Like, they think they've killed him in this issue. It's the illusion of choice. Yeah. He allowed them to think that they had the, their fate in their own hands, which is what he needs them to do anyways. You know, because it was the fact that they were so close, he was so close with all of them, I feel is what led to all the problems, right? Um, and so, because I think that they know Walter, um, and and yeah, so but, it, the fact that Nora was in on this, though, and was kind of the mastermind behind it. Well, that's the thing, that, though. I, that's I, what got me. I have to assume that because he is close with them, though, like all of the other experiments, right, with other groups mm-hmm. of humans, I have to assume they're all going to fail, because they don't have this layer to it. They don't have this right. layer where they have this illusion of choice, where they understand True. that they're, they're accepting that they're the last living humans, potentially, mm-hmm. and that there's no Earth to go back to, if they're even on Earth anymore. That's a question that's right. raised. They could be on a spaceship for all we goddamn know. Right. Um. So, th- this idea uh, at the end, which I, I thought really made the whole thing very compelling, is that this moment where... Nora still knows. Nora still remembers this conversation now and still knows that Walter's really alive and that this is all kind of a ruse to make them all live like they're supposed to. She knows that. Mm -hmm. And he has to trust that. He has to trust her and trust that she won't reveal this. And Mm -hmm. he says at the end, in the last couple of pages of his narration, that this is like the first time he's really felt this like sense of like they have like one of them's got power over him and yeah. that trust is like real love like maybe Nora wouldn't mm-hmm. phrase it that way but he's feeling this real sense of love because he's having to be trusted and like he's having to trust one of them and right. give them the power to maintain this and this idea that that's what's actually going to like potentially succeed even though we know in some level it doesn't because we've seen glimpses of the future and mm-hmm. it looks like hell but and if it doesn't yeah. look like hell, what happens when his like so supervisors or superiors show up and right. start asking well, questions? And that the the guy who had his you know the doctor that um, his wife is the doctor that got killed. He still is like wanting vengeance on Walter, right? Mm-hmm. Even though like he's dead, I'm sure that like that's a thread that's going to keep going, you know, because he holds Walter responsible for the death of his wife, you know, so. Uh, just because he's dead doesn't mean he's over it. Uh, so, I'm, you know, that's another thing that continues. Oh, for sure. I, I, I just think it's this really fascinating thing that this issue, more than any of the other issues, really convinced me that Walter does care for these people. Mm-hmm. And the, even the fact that he picked them, he wasn't supposed to, like, 
it's not so much that he wasn't supposed to care about the people he picked, but he's picked these people specifically because he cares about them mm-hmm. and not because they were the right choice for whatever this experiment was. Well, and the fact that they all know each other too through Walter, that is, he's the connection to all of them. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. not that just that he cares about them, but they all know each other as well. So there's dynamics there that are built in already too. You know, so maybe that's also part of his key that that maybe they will be successful and something happens like a sabotage or something. And that's why it looks like hell. But Titan has really wrote in this, this thing where now anything can kind of happen, right? Like storytelling wise, but because we're so invested in all of this, that we're just kind of there for the ride. Um, but yeah, I can't believe when, it, when I got to that tech stuff at the end, it was just, it was mind blowing, like actual mind blowing. The stuff about trust and, um, yeah, you know, like the idea having that, power over him. Yeah, one of them something he has to be okay with. One of them had the choice to betray him, and mm-hmm. chose not to and keep the secret. And that mm-hmm. is probably like even though he's felt friendly with them in the past, but it's all been kind of based in this lie because he's pretending to be a human, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And any times that he had a real conversation with them about who he really was, he erased their memory. But this was a, an example of someone knowing exactly the situation they're in and choosing to uphold what you know what he wanted or what he'd agreed with them was was you know like mm-hmm. they chose to agree with them even knowing to some extent what he really is and that makes him feel this connection that it's like oh and so in some way him befriending them may actually be what makes this experiment work versus the other ones that right. may all fail right right it's, it's he knows that nora cares for him back right that it's yeah. mutual and that's that's what it's based off of now. Well, no, that's how he's interpreting it. I mean, arguably, mm-hmm. she just like agrees logically that if we're going to keep this up and like not mm-hmm. attract the attention of people who'll just wipe us from right. the map, right? That, you know, she might just logically agree this is how it has to work. This is how we stay as a calm group, mm-hmm. not necessarily because she cares about Waller. Although I think going forward, the story mm-hmm. is quite interesting if it's, it does become clear that some of them do care about Waller, even right. once they know who he really is, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, really, really, really good storytelling. And I think this is one of Bueno's best, uh, best looking books since, since we came back from the break, you know, all the, all the stuff is really clean. Um, a lot of the, that, again, that last panel of the house on the lake. Yeah. I just, the art's really strong on this one. Yeah. Um, and it just it adds this extra layer to it that even this is still part of the manipulation like mm-hmm. uh, not part of the experiment per se but the idea that it's part of the manipulation to sort of get them to fall in line with the experiment mm-hmm. um, is really quite interesting That one of the best pages is probably when he's sitting waiting for their sort of like decision and they all mm-hmm. come in and it's this two page layout where it's this big wide panel at the top where he's just kind of hunched over in the foreground and the entire group of characters is sort of like watching over his shoulder. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it really paints this idea that they're all hanging over his neck. Yeah. Uh, this decision. So, uh, really good stuff. And even the, the, the talking about killing him and how is anyone actually prepared to do that? Uh, right. Because it's one thing to accidentally shoot someone like it just happened a couple issues ago. Right. It's another thing to like make the choice to murder someone. <laughs> yeah. Like, actually murder someone with, with malicious intent. You know, because they feel like they have to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, 
no, very good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's all these like, other conversations that you get through, like the messages and the emails of people agreeing mm-hmm. to come on the trip, which kind of yeah. like give us, gives it this bookend quality to the first issue because it's like, oh, yeah. we're kind of like tying up the loose ends of like how everyone came on this trip. Um, if I, yeah. the, the only issue is that I may have to reread all this before the second series starts just to make mm-hmm. sure I've got all of it in my head. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, forward. I still can't keep all the characters straight. Yeah. Like, you know, because there's still a lot of characters and all the dynamics. You know, I know the main ones, like the like the two artists, um, and I, Nora. I think uh, it will benefit the 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 reread before the second mm-hmm. series. Absolutely, For sure. Well, um, and I might make the effort because it, it is so complex with all these characters. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I I have to imagine it all lines up quite nicely. Yeah. Uh, if if you do keep them all in mind of yeah. who they all are. Well, not yeah. And that's the other thing too, is like our it's it's almost kinda of like lost in that way where you find out that about the tail section. And it's like, are we if in the second one, are we gonna see what the other experiments are up to? Like, you know? Oh, that's a possibility. Are, we could you know. Because uh, now this just opened up that whole world now too. There's there's more than just what we thought. So it, it adds layers to the book. Um but yeah. I remember when this book got announced, I was like, Oh, a horror book set on the lake? You know, is this going to be like, you know, monsters and and it's this completely different sci-fi psychological type horror. Um, and so it completely upended my expectations. Yeah. So. There's also a panel right before the ending as well uh, where you see kind of like the entire map of the, mm-hmm. the uh, like the lake. But it's like in like a hexagon, almost as if that's like what the, just, the dome is. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just where they are, whatever whatever aspect they're in. Yeah. So if this yeah. is on a ship or if it's in some mm-hmm. you know some other planet or something, but th- this yeah. is the shape of the the experiment is this hexagon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, really yeah. Uh, great visuals there. Uh, you know, we've, we've focused mainly on the last like three or four pages because the ending really is what makes all this yeah. you know special. Because uh, like all of them like deciding what to do with Walter for the yeah. rest of the issue. It is quite exciting because it is them making a choice of like, how do we progress with the knowledge of the situation that we are in and that there's these alien overlords that might come and kill us at any time. And the best path forward, regardless of how we're going to do it, is to just pretend that everything's okay and be peaceful and Mm -hmm. so on and so on. But then this little pivot at the end of, no, no, no. Like, this was all an illusion of choice because Walter, like, wants it to succeed and this is the only way that they'll actually find peace is thinking that they've won in some way so fascinating yep yeah end of cycle one um so yeah but he's he's also speaking in hindsight as well because he says it would take them longer for them to realize that they would need to fight to keep this uh this peaceful world that they've now got to themselves um so yeah even then this is so even the even the dialogue itself is hinting at all the big things to come Mm mm-hmm and all the conflict that's to come. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. That's very good. All right. What are you giving mm-hmm. Nice House in the Lake? I should 12. Uh, I'm going to give this a 9. Uh, I'm going to go 9.5. Uh, I, I think there this was go. an exceptional uh, issue. And really put, put, put a nice undercurrent under everything else that we'd already had up until this point uh, and contextualized a lot of it. So, uh, really good. Uh, all right. So, uh, you read Sergeant Rock uh, yep. versus Army of the Dead issue. What is this one? Uh, four. Four? Okay. Yeah. Take it away. Um, 
Yeah, so the last issue ended with them, with half of Easy Company following Hitler's doctor. Um, and so they're still following him, and uh, they get to a checkpoint, and they don't know how they're going to get through. And Sergeant Rock's like, yeah, the whole point of of a checkpoint, you know, from a military standpoint, is don't let anyone through. So we're going to have to take it over. So this this issue is mostly an action sequence where um, they, they start causing trouble at the checkpoint, uh, the Nazis send out some of the the you know the zombie creatures. Uh, they go to check the back of the truck that they're driving in, and the the flamethrower member of Easy Company just completely cooks them. Um, they they end up in a chase scene where they have to ditch the truck uh, in like the woods because right past the checkpoint point is a bunker, and they just start firing on them. So. Um, Easy Company has to the that half has to stay um, and basically defend their position while Sergeant Rock and one of the other members follows the the doctor and so they end up uh, getting in this motorcycle and a sidecar uh, and ends up being very much you know to me at least reminiscent of Last Crusade because um, they're they're going through uh, chasing Nazis in this motorcycle and sidecar. Um, and uh, Sergeant Rock and the guy that he's with uh, noticed like how heavily uh, armed this position is. And Sergeant Rock starts to put together, he goes, well, we have this basically fortress. We have all these armed men. We have Hitler's doctor. Do you know what this means? This is where Hitler is. And that's where the book ends. Um so it just it keeps up with the the pacing and the speed that the other books have had. Uh, a lot, you know, a lot of this is you know firefight and return, you know, between Easy Company and the Nazis. And you see, you know, on on the the sequence where they're being chased on the motorcycle, um, they go past. What I thought were water tanks, right? And uh, they start firing at them, and they they drench the Nazis, uh, the Nazi monsters, in what looks like water. And then Sergeant Rock takes his Zippo and throws it on him. It turns out it was a gas tank. Um, and so we get a lot of fun action mm. out of Rosso in, in there, you know, and because that's what they've established is the one way to fully, fully take out these, these zombie monsters is fire. So, you know, um, it's always this, you know, right there, um, you know, any way that they can cause a fire to, to get rid of them. And then, yeah, it just, it keeps going that, the you know, they got to find out, you know, how they're making these monsters and what's going on. And um, I think Bruce Campbell's doing a pretty good job because it's a very kind of bare bones book. Like it's very much a, you know, kind of like one of these B war movies, you know, that Hollywood would have turned out back in the 50s, 60s. Mm. Um, there's very little character development because all these characters are kind of archetypes of, of army. You know, even Sergeant Rock is just kind of, you know, gung ho Sergeant. We're going to keep moving. And, you know, when he says at the end, he goes, oh, we, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that we've located Hitler. The bad news is I lost my Zippo. So it even gets into some of the cheesiness. And I, you know, I'm almost wondering if, like, a younger Bruce Campbell could have played a Sergeant Rock. I think he's, he's too old now. But I wonder if I go back and read this and, and insert his voice, if that would make the character almost come alive a little bit more. Because I would say that's the biggest problem with the book is all the characters are kind of hollow. They're just kind of these, again, archetypes. Um, but 
watching Nazis get burned up and shot at and otherwise destroyed is always a good time in my book. Because to quote Indiana Jones, you know, Nazis, I hate these guys. Um, but yeah, just a basic book. I would I would tell people just wait for the trade to come out. We're we're four out of six at this point. And it'll probably read a lot better in trade. It'll feel like a nice, you know, brisk story of, you know, not of of, you know, soldiers versus zombies. So um yeah, so I'll I'll give this a seven out of ten. Like it's not phenomenal, but it's a nice light fun read. Okay. Like, yeah. uh, well, I had a Patreon book uh, this week. Uh, American Vampire, issue 28. Uh, as I explained at the start, um, I didn't realize I was doing the miniseries the last five weeks. Or five, five weeks, five, you know, five episodes that I did mm-hmm. American Vampire. So that was Lords of Nightmare 1 through 5 I just did uh, with American Vampire. So this mm-hmm. is issue 28, which is back to uh, Pearl, uh, who opens up the book. Uh, she's back in Hollywood, California. It's 1954, and she's got a vampire in the back of her car that she's dragged up there to ask some questions, and then ultimately knowing he's not going to talk, he's up there because sunrise is happening, and he, of course, like bursts into you know, vampire dust and blood and whatever. Uh, so fun sequence, Albuquerque on the art, of course. Um, this comes after the cliffhanger, which, you know, before the last regular issue was that Henry had been attacked. Uh, at their home. And this is why she's questioning a vampire. And Calvin, the other vampire who uh, is kind of like a good guy, is at the hospital with Henry. And she goes to see him and he's Henry's in a hospital bed. And it brings up the question, of course, where Calvin says, you know, have you thought about turning him? Because, like, he's barely alive and this might be the... And she starts crying and says, he made me promise that I wouldn't. They made me promise that I would never, even if he was in a position like this, to not turn them. And you know, it's a really good scene. You know, he kind of, you know, she she gets emotional. She's lying on his chest, uh, and then some doctors and nurses come in and say they want to move him, but she catches them out in a line very quickly. They start attacking their vampires. Uh, shout out to the main doctor vampire here because he's got this great big handlebar mustache, uh, <laughs> which feels really out of place in. 1950s i think the idea is that this is a vampire who's from a different time you know he's been yeah. around from a different time period so so, so is it like a, a triple h handlebar or is no, it even, even more no it's the sort of the handlebar that's sort of like toughed up okay. at the sides so, so like uh like a walrus kind of yeah 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 okay um so uh and he's got the big sideburns as well because of course he does uh, gotcha. So we get a big fight sequence in the hospital with Calvin and Pearl just like decimating these vampires, throwing them out a window. Um, takes up quite a few pages. This this fight, uh, which if I'm going to critique the issue, is that it, you know it doesn't advance that much because it spends mm-hmm. a lot of time on this fight scene in the middle that feels like it's really just established that Henry's in danger and the vampires going to keep coming for him. Uh, but the real meat of the issue is the back chunk, which is. They go to the vassals for help. Uh, they have taken Henry in into their secret lair under the observatory. The Griffith Observatory, uh, specifically. So they're, they're using a famous landmark here. Yes. Uh, and they've got um, you know, him in a hospital bed underneath. And they're, all, they're doing this uh, in return for Pearl helping them. And obviously, uh, Hobbes isn't here. This actually seems to be taking place around the same time as the miniseries, because they mention Hobbes is off in Europe or something. So this is actually taking place. And obviously Hobbes dies at the end of that story. Right. Uh, so he ain't showing back up. 
Uh, but we're dealing with Agent... What's his name here? Bixby. Agent Bixby is the one who's, like, uh, collaborating with her now. And basically says, we've taken out most of the vampire dens in California, but there's at least one super secret one that's, like, got members of the Hollywood elite, like, hiding them. Uh, kind of like reds under the beds. It's undeads under the beds, uh, as they put it. So, oh, goddamn Snyder, you're you're real good there. I know it's very funny. Uh, yeah. The big reveal here, though, is though, is Pearl is agreeing to do this, is that her partner that she's going to be doing this with? Because she's like, wait, am I going to knock, you know, walk up to these mansions and knock on the door myself and like investigate like where these vampires might be hiding? And the big reveal is, is that she's going to have a partner. And would you believe it? It's Skinner Sweet in like a, a suit and tie with a hat. But he's got the candy cane sticking out of his uh mm-hmm. his pocket, of course um and she's like surprised that he's not dead uh you know because the last time we saw skinner was in, in the big plot that was uh i, th- I think it was the, the the world war ii stuff maybe no 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 it, it wasn't true because he was in the the he was in the racing stuff with the the greaser vampire yeah. um but that well, was that's the, the last time we've seen him it's been yeah. a minute it has been a little while yeah and i don't actually think it's been that long really but it feels like a while because we did the miniseries uh, yeah. And then came back because he wasn't in the two-parter that was in the main book before I read the miniseries, but that was only a couple of issues. So yeah, it probably wouldn't have felt that mm. long <laughs> had it not been for that. But it feels like a while. But he's got his hair all combed. Uh, he's much. So I'm assuming as as the art goes on, we're going to learn like how exactly he's like sort of sticking with this and looking all presentable. He's probably got ulterior motives because he's Skinner Sweet, of course. Uh, so we get this great full page spread where they're both holding like old school handguns and she's like let's kill them all Uh, so she's working with them so that's the big final page uh, of the issue so it's an enjoyable issue and the action and it's obviously really well drawn I do think the action in this case feels like it takes up a bit of time because we already have the action at the start where she's got the vampire up at the Hollywood sign and she waits for the sunrise to kill him that's already a fun action sequence. So there's the action sequence in the middle of the issue, which is at the hospital. Uh, like, it's there to establish that they're going to keep coming for Henry, so he's in danger, and that's why they have to go to the vassals. But it does take, like, six pages of, like, you know, a 22-page book, and it just kind of feels like it eats up maybe too much of the time. Uh, but, I mean, I can't say I'm not intrigued by, like, Pearl teaming up with Skinner to take out the last of the vampires in Los Angeles. It's interesting. Uh, for sure. So I'm intrigued to see where it goes with it. But uh, I definitely, I think Lord of Va- Lord of Nightmares that miniseries was so good, and it's like some of my favorite stuff that like American Vampire has been up until this point. Then this did feel a little bit, uh, yeah, just a little bit deflating com- comparatively. But still, definitely some good stuff in here, and I'm excited to see what they do because obviously I like Peril and Henry's characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's Skinner's back. He's the I really, I really love that bastard. Of course, of course. Uh, but that is, uh, that's the book. Uh, so, uh, pro- probably still, still a reasonable, like, 7.5 out of 10. But definitely a little bit of a step down compared to the- It's interesting to think this was releasing alongside that miniseries, uh, when it was coming mm-hmm. out, obviously, so. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there you go. But that'll take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff of the week, favourite panel slash moment, favourite cover, mm-hmm. favourite art, and then, of course, we'll rank the top five, which in this case, I read five books, so I'll be ranking all of them. Uh, yes. Matt, what are you picking for panel slash moment of the week? So, uh, The Nice House on the Lake had a really good one. Uh, Detective had some nice stuff with Mr. Freeze, but 
I'm going to go with Action Comics. Of and course. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be the Angry Dad threat from Superman Deluxe. Uh, just a really good moment. And it made me feel good as a Superman fan that Superman's like, yeah, I'm a nice guy, but don't push me. All right, man? Naturally, uh, naturally. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to go with the last page of Nice House in the Lake. It just, you know, mm-hmm. I just, I got such a grin in my face as it was like, yeah, this was only part one. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the pill, the, this is just part one to be continued on is, and I was, I was pleased and delighted because it, it made sense given that there was still felt like there was more to explore, but I, the whole time we, we, we kind of wanted it to be more than just 12 issues because it was so good. So mm-hmm. it was just the, the perfect reveal of that. So, yeah. So there you go. Uh, cover, uh, there was a nice Sorrentino cover for, um, Nice, nice House. Nice House. But, yeah, that looked cool. But I've got to say the main action cover is my pick. Uh, it just looks really nice. Uh, you know, Superman, nice blue sky, flying, wonderfully shaded. Yes. Really into it. There's a lot of variants for action 1050, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think any of them are as good as that. In fact, I clicked on one that I think is, like, ugly as shit. Like, Which uh, one? Uh, the 175 Alexander Lozano cover. I think that is horrible. I'm looking for that one. The proportions are really weird. But what's the main uh, action piece on it? It's Superman on the front, and he's kind of just sort of got his hands clasped together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that one. Not good. Yeah. Really weird proportions. It's it's kind of like... Uh, yeah, just really weird. <laughs> I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't like it at all. What's your cover? So mine's an, an action variant, but I'm going to let you guess real quick. Which one would be my cover? Oh God! Um, yeah. And it's not—it's not because it's not I almost went with the Mike Perkins because I do like that. Uh, there's a nice horror quality to that. Um, is it uh, Clark and Lois having the milkshake? <laughs> nope, it's not that one. Oh, is it uh, Bebo and uh... Bebo and Beppo having an arm yeah. wrestling contest as Crypto looks directly at the camera? Why am I not surprised? Yeah. No, I go. saw that one. I was like, "Look, this is dangerous of being a self-parody." However, it is a great, and it's Steve Lieber, like, to a T. Like, this is what mm-hmm. he's perfect at. But I also want to shout out the the um, the 1 in 50, uh, Barrio Nuevo. Um, there's just something about it that I like. I don't know if it's the Dutch angle, uh, Dutch angle or if that it's a, you know, uh, a younger Clark. Um, but it's just the watercolor on it looks real good, too. But, yeah, I'm going with the Steve Lieber. How do you beat that? Yeah, okay. Uh, all right. Uh, art of the week, Matt. Who? This one's kind of tough. Um, I did like the Sergeant Rock art. That's kind of the the key on there. But it's nice house on the lake. It's hard to beat Martina Martinez Bueno uh, during this week. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm picking uh, Bueno mm. as well. Uh, definitely the best all rounder and consistent art of the week. <laughs> I would say. All right, top five books, Matt. Go. All right, number one, Nice House on the Lake. Number two, Action Comics. Number three, Detective Comics. Uh, number four is Blue Beetle. Number five, Sergeant Rock. Yeah, for me, number one is Nice House. Number two is Detective. It would have been Action, but the art just dragged it down a bit. So number yeah. three is Action. Number four is Blue Beetle. Number five is DC versus Vampires. And that's just kind of there because it's the last one. <laughs> that's it. Uh, So I'll tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics. Uh, We have 
Batman 131, Dark Knights of Steel issue 9, Poison Ivy issue 8, The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing issue 4, Gotham City Year 1 issue 4, Sword of Azrael issue 6, and Batman Nightwatch issue 5. So very quiet week. I mean, even between me and Matt, we only have four books that we're going to talk about. So as we said earlier, the show will be uh, late, um, meaning it'll probably be early for patrons maybe on the Sunday. I think I said it wouldn't be early earlier. I think it might be now, actually. I'm thinking about it. It may be early for patrons late in the Sunday and then up for everyone on the Monday, as opposed to the usual Saturday-Sunday schedule. Uh, and then the annual episode, looking at the best of the year stuff, will be out sometime during uh, the week. Uh, also, look out. I'll probably put out a voting form before the next episode goes out. Uh, for the the viewers' choice or the listeners' choice uh, for best of the year, uh, like we do most years, so look out for that on the socials at DC Comics Podcast mm-hmm. on Twitter, um, on the Discord, of course. I'll put a link in it to there as well, um, and I'll also put it in the description of the next episode, of course. Uh, but yes, yeah, so look out for that. Uh, but yeah, that's that's that's, that's the show. Uh, I'm really hungry, so I'm just going to very quickly say thank you very much for listening, and thank you to everyone who supports us. Uh, whether that's financially or not financially, you can of course do it financially over at patreon.com slash TV. Uh, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. <laughs> but uh, have a happy new year. In fact, by the time you get this, it'll already be 2023. Yeah. So, you know, happy 2023. Uh, thank you very much, guys. We'll see you next time. Keep reading comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.